The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. And we're up, Steve-O. What's happening, my brother? Yeah, dude. Good to see you. Good What's to see cracking? you, too, man. It's been, it's been a long time. I Every time I see you, I'm just happy you're in one piece. Just <laughs> happy. All, everything's working. Yeah. I can't believe it. And all the people that have gotten fucked up doing the things that you do, you're out there fucking moving around like normal. Right. I'm thriving. <laughs> um, and it, it hasn't been so long. I see you at the fights all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Man, it's crazy. The uh, I, I, I just got so hooked on that. Yeah. It's uh, the most exciting live experience you could ever encounter. For sure. I really believe that. And, dude, how about this last card? <laughs> it, I think it was one of the most first-round knockouts ever. Seven. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. Or first-round stoppages. It was, uh, it was a wild card, man. Wild card. Yeah. Um, I, I was on an airplane at the time that it was happening. And, and you know, a lot of the time I'm, I'm on stage doing, doing my show when the fights are happening. And in those situations... Like I, I will move my Instagram app off the the like front screen of my phone. So you can't see. Yeah, because I'll just inadvertently like right. just because it's like muscle memory. I'll open Instagram, and when it opens, I'll like no, like I'll, I'll find out what yeah. happened. So I'll move my fucking Instagram off the top page, and then uh, you, you know, like just make sure that I don't find anything out, and then I'll go onto the video on demand after the fact and and watch it all. Yeah, the Wi-Fi on a plane is not quite good enough, right? You can't really stream it on a plane, can you? Um, in some cases, like YouTube will work fine sometimes, but the, but in this case, I was on an Air Canada flight, so they mm. didn't even have Wi-Fi. It's wood-powered Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, and when when uh, when they made the move to ESPN Plus uh, or ESPN, I. I, it was driving me crazy because I'd get back to my hotel room after my shows and, and I'd go to the to the on demand and the thumbnail for the the event would be a guy like celebrating oh. like, you know, I'm like the whole fucking reason that I'm here yeah. is because I would, you know, anybody yeah. going to the video on demand. And the thumbnail would give it away. So, so I messaged Dana. I'm like, dude, this is driving me crazy. And uh, and he's like, I got the, you know, the the the, the number one at ESPN, the number one at their number two at Disney's on it, and like, and then they just got fixed. Oh, really? You <laughs> fixed it? <laughs> Congratulations! Thanks, I'm That's actually proud of that. a very wise uh, solution. You really shouldn't have that. Because right. everybody who doesn't get a chance to see it live, right. they want to go to it and just watch it. Right. Now the remaining problem is that they, they break out like all the fights individually. So, yeah. so you see the duration. Mm. There's a little time code. That's an issue, yeah. Yeah, so you, so you know if it... it the, you just got to not look at that. Right, I do. I blur my eyes and like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy, man. I'm a... I'm I'm a, I'm a super fan, dude. I I literally watch every fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a giant fan. That that Stylebender fight, how crazy was that? Really crazy, dude. Man. The way he responded to that loss is better than anybody ever. The dude yeah. shows up at the press conference with a fucking fur coat like a king, <laughs> with his dope ass watch on, and just says he got me. 
You know, I mean, he basically said, right. The hunter is now the hunted. I'm coming after him. I'm going to find a way to beat that dude. I was on my way to beating him, and he got yep. me. And he was honest about all of it, about how the Pereira uh, landed a bunch of calf kicks early on, and it fucked up his leg and Perennial couldn't move right. Nerve. Yeah, yeah. It's a those calf kicks have changed the fucking game. Yeah. I can't believe. Like, I was talking to Michael Bisping, who was UFC champion, and he said that literally he got through his entire career before the calf kick came along. Which yeah. is so wild when you think about that. Right. I mean, he got through his whole career before the calf kick emerged. Which is insane to think of. That this one area of the leg to kick, the only person that had ever really done it before that was like Benson Henderson was pretty good at doing it. And, you know, Mighty Mouse had done it uh, to Henry Cejudo. And it happened to Michael Chandler and Bellator. But it wasn't like... A staple like everybody had to do it and now right. everyone has to do it and it just takes like one or two shots and your leg is fucked yeah um and with the stoppage too on the this Izzy fight I thought you know it wasn't a bad stoppage but at the same time I'd like it was impressive how Izzy said um I, I, in, in the moment, I thought it was a bad stoppage, but then my, my, my coach and my manager, they said it was fine, and I trust them, and so it's all good. Well, I don't think Pajera was going to stop. He had more time. Izzy was stationary, and Pajera was going to hit him with some big shots. We don't need to see Izzy right. with his eyes rolled back behind his head, flat right. out, unconscious. I, I, I think it was a good stoppage. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that it, that it was a good stoppage, and I could see where Izzy would be, like, up, upset about it. Is all I could see where he would be upset about it too, and, and I could see where other fights have gone on longer. Right, and they have, but it's a subjective call. And Mark Goddard is one of the very best in the world. For sure, he's top two or three. He might be number two. You know, I think Herb Dean's number one. You know, and you know, Big John McCarthy doesn't ref anymore. He was always in that same spot. It's like yeah. there's a few guys that are the elite of the elite of referees, and Mark Goddard is surely right there. B yeah. Very few bad calls or even questionable calls. I, sh I don't think I've, I've ever seen him make a bad call. Right. To your point, I think that Izzy just handled that. Like a, a fucking king. Yeah. Like a king. Yeah. You know, and uh, he was saying, bring back Steve Mazzagatti. Because <laughs> Steve Mazzagatti was a referee that was, like, famous for letting fights go way too long. <laughs> Oh, that yeah, that was like in Brazil. The, uh, the, was that him? I don't know. I don't know which fight you're talking yeah, there, about. Yeah, there was some really, really bad one. It there was, was some. Really... Well, I think that was Mario Yamasaki. Who? Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't do them for the UFC anymore either. But uh, Mazzagatti was kind of famous for that, for right. whatever reason, whether it's justified or not. But it was just hilarious. Yeah, that Izzy was saying, "Bring back Steve Mazzagatti." <laughs> 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 and then he went on Andrew Schultz's podcast on Monday. Yeah. So he was on Schultz's podcast Monday. They were drinking, having fun, and, you know, he handled it very, very well. Yeah. Ben Askren has, has handled defeat very well, Yes, too. he did. Yeah. I mean, especially that one to Jorge Masvidal, because that right. was a crazy one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, you know, it's fucking the game they play, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, Izzy knocked a lot of fucking people unconscious. Yeah. Is he, you know, put it on everybody in the division. And the thing is, like, when you are a specialist, 
Like, if your specialty is wrestling and then all of a sudden you're facing an Olympic gold medalist, you're like, fuck. Because, like, there's people that are better than you at your specialty. Right. And at least on paper, Alex Pajera is one of the best kickboxers of all time. I still think Izzy is technically a better striker because Izzy is just so he's so clever and sophisticated and he doesn't have the kind of power that Pajera has. But yeah. Pajera is very technically good too. He just has a different thing that he relies on. He just has that nuclear option yeah. and he relies on that a lot and it paid off. And it paid off with him against Izzy twice. And one time he won by a decision, which if I go back and watch that kickboxing fight, I do not agree with that decision. And the second fight with kickboxing, it was a kind of shady situation because Izzy was winning and Izzy had him fucked up and they gave him a standing eight count, which they can do yeah. in kickboxing. And they allowed him to recover and then he went back and he knocked out Izzy. And then this one, down 3-1, going into the fifth and he puts it on him. Yeah, that was some Usman shit. Listen, man, he's... It, w it was more. It was more dramatic, honestly. The, well, now I shouldn't say that because the Usman thing was last minute. Leon right. lands that perfect head kick. Yeah. It was one shot. This was, you know, like is he gonna get him? Is he gonna? <laughs> oh my God! Is right. he's hurt? He's hurt! He's hurt! And for Pajera, I mean, that was what a Cinderella story. I mean, yeah. that guy came from kickboxing. Was the only two division consec he was holding two division champion simultaneously. So he was the 185 pound champion and the 205 pound champion simultaneously. It was knocking people into another dimension in kickboxing. You watch his highlight reel, it's fucking sensational. He's putting together a pretty sweet highlight reel in the UFC. Oh too. my God. He's a monster. He yeah. really is a monster. He's so big for the weight class. Which really wears you out, that, that weight cut. That's a big right. weight cut. And with wrestling, he's going to have issues because he's not a grappler. That's not his forte. And right. he's getting better at grappling. But that was when Izzy takes you down and Izzy controls you on the ground. And Izzy's not – that's not his forte either. They, right. You know, now I didn't want, – I wondered, like, was someone going to shoot? Someone going to try to take it, take it to the ground? But – to see Izzy do it, well, to see Pajeda do it first, he did it at the end of the second, and then to see Izzy do it to him and control him and beat him up, I was like, wow. I mean, he had his back, he was pummeling him. Yeah, the hooks. Yeah, man, it was it was a wild fight, and for sure they're going to fight again. I mean, yeah. I hope so. Right. I don't know if they go straight to it, but the thing is, like, Pajeda, like, his wrestling is going to be an issue. Like, he's got to really figure out a way to tie. But that was an issue with Izzy, too, early right. in Izzy's career. And he had to figure out how to tighten that up, and he did. I mean, Pajara came in, like, what? Like, they said they were saying he was, like, 220 pounds. Like he could that. have been. Yeah, he, he could have been. I mean, he certainly gets above that right. in between fights. And he right. has a hard time making 185. Oh, uh, man, I wonder, like, this is a, a question I've, I've been dying to ask. Um, what do you think— about if, like, um, when, when the fighters, they're, they're putting on the Vaseline, you know, they're getting checked out by the ref, right? What if they were standing on a scale mm. at that point so that it was transparent? You could actually know compared to what they weighed in at and then when they actually step into the octagon for, for the fight. They do that for some boxing matches. They'll let you know, like, what the guy's weighing when he steps into the ring. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a bullshit thing. It's basically sanctioned cheating. It really is, but everybody does it. But Izzy barely does it. Well, you know, when right. Izzy went up to fight Jan Bohovic at light heavyweight, right. he weighed 194. Right. Which is crazy. Because Bohovic is a giant light heavyweight. I mean, Bohovic is a big, powerful guy right. at light heavyweight, and Izzy didn't gain any weight. Right, because Izzy figured that if he put on a bunch of weight to go up a weight class, that he might lose his speed. Well, you, you also have muscles that need oxygen, and you might lose some of your endurance. And a big part of his game is not just speed, it's movement. Right. And you don't want to have a smaller gas tank right. you know, when you're fighting a guy who's just a murderous power striker like Bohovic is. Right. Because Bohovic puts people in another dimension, man. That motherfucker hits so hard. The last thing you want to do is like be standing in front of that guy. Right. Um, of course, the story of the Bohovic fight was, was all wrestling. Yeah. Right? That it, yeah. he held him down. And so when, when Pajera came in weighing what looked like 220 pounds. He I looks thought, like a light heavyweight. It really does right, and then the, the like I, I I was wondering, oh, well, are we going to see him like hold Izzy down the way Blahovich did? Yeah, but that's not his style. Like, his right. style is murderous striker. I mean, yeah, he's he's a legitimate descendant of Amazon tribesmen. <laughs> like no bullshit. That's his, he really yeah. his family comes from the Amazon. I mean, he, the Politon. I don't. I'm not sure what language it is. That what's the the language called? But that's hands of stone. In his uh -huh. language. That dude is fucking special. He's so scary. And if he fucking learns how to wrestle and he learns how to take people down too, I mean, if he gets really good at that and gets good at stuffing the takedowns and makes people stand with him, God damn, man. He, he's so powerful for that weight class. So powerful. And I mean, even at 205, he's fucking powerful. Like when he was fighting kickboxing, when he was going up to 205, he was nuking people at 205. With big gloves. Yeah. He's a terrifying dude. So, like, when you got a, st a specialist like Izzy, who's just a specialist kickboxer, worst case scenario is the best kickboxer in the world enters into MMA, and that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, you can make a, an argument that he's, he's certainly the best kickboxer in the world at 185 pounds. He lost to Vahitov in his last fight in kickboxing, but, but Vahitov is the cream of the crop. And Vaitov is super, super technical, and it was a split decision. It was a very, very, very close fight. So that was his last kickboxing bout in glory. Other than that, the other elite guys in, in kickboxing that were supposed to fight in, in MMA, one of them is Cedric Dumbe. And I've had Cedric on the podcast before, and he's another dude. Man, he's a fucking real problem if he gets into MMA. And he's been taking his time and learning wrestling, and he went down to AKA and trained with those guys for a while. But he had some sort of an issue, a medical issue, and how to pull out of his fight in France. They were supposed to, he was supposed to have his UFC debut. And now, like, I think he, he said he was in some sort of a dispute with Glory because they're kind of upset that he's leaving Glory and going over to the UFC. And I hope he gets over there because that's another guy that, like, all those dudes at 170 that like to strike, like, good fucking luck. Good luck with that guy. Yeah. Because he's a motherfucker. <laughs> and he's a motherfucker against strikers. Like, when you get a world champion striker who enters into MMA, all fights start on the feet, man. They all start in an advantageous position. It's like if you're fighting a grappler and all fights started on the ground. Like, every fight started with that dude right. on top of you. That'd be terrifying, right? Well, that's what it is. Like, all fights start standing up. Well, with kickboxing, like, uh, 
I mean, I, I'm not really familiar with where you even watch kickboxing. Glory, um, you got to go to the Glo- Glory has uh, most of their shows are on the web, and you could go to uh, I think it's uh, fight. I think it's fite dot com is uh, where or it's it's glorykickboxing.com and there's a link to it and you could stream it. No, what I usually do is I. I get it on my phone, and then I use the Apple app, and I stream uh-huh. it to my television through right. Apple TV. Does that mean that there's not, like, a ton of money for kickboxing? There's not <laughs> as much money in kickboxing, no. Glory is the biggest organization for kickboxing in the world, and they put on phenomenal fights, and I'm a, I'm a giant fan of the organization. But it's weird to me that boxing got so popular in the United States and around the world and MMA got so popular in the United States and around the world, but kickboxing never really caught on here. It yeah. doesn't make any sense because it's so exciting. When you watch guys that are like high level, like Cedric Dumbe or Alex Pejera or Vahitov, these fucking world class kickboxers are so exciting. It's not like a bad product. The product is right. sensational. What um, we we see people dying in boxing mm. and, and we don't see people dying in MMA. Knock uh, on wood. Right. Um, I have a theory about that, that like, that, that it's about the gloves because like if you take football back in the day when they had uh, like just the little leather helmet, mm. like back then, like people would, wouldn't hit their heads so much because they had like a little fucking leather helmet on. So like, there, but then now in in modern football, you've got this this crazy helmet that that lets you uh, bash your head around with seeming impunity, and because mm. of that, people are hitting their heads so much more, and as a result, they've got all this CTE going on. Well, that's and, a real theory shared by other people as well. Yeah. Right. So yeah, with boxing, the, these humongous gloves, it's like oh, you can you know throw your your fists around with impunity but but then that that that's why yeah well it's the uh, you know there's a lot of thought to that it's also there's only one option that option is to hit to punch like you can't clinch you can't take people down you can't kick and stay on the outside you you have to stay inside a boxing range because that's the only sport you're playing there's there's a lot of thought to that about the big gloves too is that use a lot more thudding right you know and the thing that people don't understand about head injuries is that, like CTE in particular, you don't have to get knocked unconscious to get it. Right. It's repeated small sure. blows can give you CTE. In fact, there's some soccer players that get CTE. Right. I when I think about that, I uh, the way back when before I got sober, I had this tour. The, it was called the Don't Try This At Home Tour. And I would promote every show by saying, I will be drunk and on drugs or your money back. <laughs> like, and I'm in it. And, and, and you, you watched me get... What year was this? That it started in 2001, and, and I ran that till like 2005. And, um, and, and uh, I mean, you would just watch me get completely hammered on stage, like pounding tequila and shit when i came out on stage i I would walk out with like a suitcase of of uh, budweiser cans and i'd toss some out of the crowd and and i would take the can i'd start out with one and and i would just bash my head with it until the can exploded and i'd be particularly 
proud if the can broke into two separate pieces. And after I broke the one can, then I would take out two cans, one in each hand, and go back and forth, ba 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 ba, and and break both of them. Um, so I would every show I would break three beers over my head. And uh, I would do that like every night. Oh my god! And 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 that like what what I understand about the CTE phenomenon is that you're absolutely right. It's not about how hard you get hit. It's 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 the the accumulation of lots of little hits, and that's why football yeah. is the biggest. Did you suffer anything from that? Dude, the, the worst part was then, then, like after I got sober, I started doing stand up. Like initially, there there was a period where I would do it with sparkling water cans. <laughs> like and you were sober, doing it still. You were sober, still beating sober, yourself in the head. <laughs> I, I did it for a little while. And, and uh, how and, many and, times do you think you've beaten yourself in the head? How many shows? If you had to count them all up. Uh, Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds. Oh, my God. Right. And, and I mean, as, as far as I can tell, I, I, I'm in pretty good shape. Tony Hawk told me one time, he uh, he says that, um, that he found out with regard to CTE that there's uh, a gene which which will make you predisposed to Alzheimer's disease. APOE4. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have that gene, then you're you're very much at risk for yeah. CTE. But if you don't have that gene, you're considerably less at risk. Mm. And he said that when he found that out, he went and got the test and and determined that he did not have that gene. And mm. and, and and when I heard that, like, I kind of chewed on it for a while. I ended up like, like it was, it was kind of, kind of nagging at me, and I ended up like reaching back out to Tony. I said, "Hey, Tony, about that test, like, what was your, what was your plan if you did have the gene? <laughs> you can't unhit right. yourself in the head, right. you know." And he's like, "Oh, well, I didn't have a plan." <laughs> like, well, like, how well, can you have a plan after the fact? Right, right? exactly. But so I'm like, I, I don't want to fucking go take that test. I don't want to know if I have that goddamn gene or not. Well, if it's been this many years afterwards, you're not suffering. You probably yeah. don't have that gene. I, I also went to. Like and now, of course, famously the, the whole CTE phenomenon—you can't find out if you have it until you've died, and they've like. Dissected. I think they can tell now. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think there's a new way that they can tell before you die, but it used wow. to be that they had to wait and do an autopsy on you. Right. Well, I went to some like brain specialist kind of guy. Were you having problems? No, I just went because I was interested. And uh, doc, Dr. Drew sent me to, mm. to this guy. It was actually when I was uh, the, the, in the, I was trying to get cauliflower ear as oh. like as part of part of uh, my my multimedia comedy. And I remember <laughs> telling you too that I was like, I'm I'm gonna do a, a crazy bit, and I try to get cauliflower ear. And I remember you telling me that. Uh, you were like, nope, I don't support that. You said, I think that cauliflower ear is something that should be earned. <laughs> you know, like, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, well, like, I, I, I became buddies with Chuck Liddell. And uh, Chuck Liddell and I got together. We made the fucking funniest, craziest video, like, uh, of him trying to get, like, I, 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 got, I, I made this helmet that like I, I designed this helmet that left my ears sticking out so it would protect my head from like headshots a little bit and my ears sticking out and and i got 
Chuck Liddell fucking sets a, a, a golf ball on my ear and fucking whacks it off oh, of the golf no. club. <laughs> Did you get cauliflower ear? That, no. <laughs> that, then um, <laughs> that, that we, we'd spent two days with Chuck trying to do it, and, and it just didn't work. Then I got together with Ronda Rousey. And, and was on the mats with her, and she's like, her and Travis, just like roughing up my ear all day long. And 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 and, uh, and they're looking at my ear, they're like, dude, we got it, that's it, you know, we got it. And then it just went away. Then I got together with Jorge Masvidal. He put his, uh, his uh, BMF belt over my ear, and he's just like punching oh, it Jesus. against a, a door. And uh, and he's like, dude, that's it right there, man. That's cauliflower. We got it. Still no. And, and didn't and then then I got together with John Jones. Oh my god. <laughs> I had like the who's who. You're of such the a Uf- glutton for punishment. <laughs> I had the who's who of the UFC Hall of Fame. Like, give their best shot, and everybody said, dude, we got it. And then it didn't work. Dude, John Jones blasted my ear into oblivion. Like, oh, with a <laughs> he, he took uh, what at the time was his current light heavyweight belt, <laughs> and, and, and like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there we oh, go. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, and he's hammering your ear, dude. He, oh, my he, god, he, he so upsettingly overdid it that my ear got, got blasted apart, and you still I, didn't get cauliflower. Dead. Oh God, it's so bloody! <laughs> oh my God, dude, yeah. what the fuck? We're, we're not putting that. Did you on get the that? You goodness. just chipped it off. You didn't get stitched up. Ah, um, just cut that little piece off. <laughs> just chopped it off. Oh With no! Scissors. Yeah. So you have like the Vander Holyfield, <laughs> like when well, Tyson well, bit Holyfield's ear. <laughs> right, dude. That was that was an idea that I pitched for Jackass like uh, multiple times. I was like, do I want like Mike Tyson to bite a chunk? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You know he's selling gummies now. Of yeah, ears? yeah, 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 yeah. Selling sure. weed gummies yeah. of ears. Dude, Mike, Mike is so classic, dude. He's the best. I fucking love him. I saw him at the fights. It's like when that guy gets a pop, when they show him on the screen. Oh, dude. Everybody goes nuts. How about fucking Patty the Batty? Yeah, man. Can you even believe? Well, he's a character. You know, people get really attracted to characters. You know, like right. Molly McCann, same thing. Yeah. Like, like when. More so when Patty the Batty kind of just showed up and, and exploded. Like Molly exploded with him, I feel Yeah, like. well, they trained together, yeah. Right. But, you know, also she had some pretty spectacular performances, and she's a wild character. She gets fucking fired up and jumps around. And I talked to Dave Portnoy. He bet ten grand on Molly McCann. I was like, Ugh. Ugh, this this last week. Yeah, and he was like, what do you think about that bet? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, listen, Molly's tough. Anything can happen. But Aaron Blanchfield is a fucking assassin. Yeah. That was, that was a tough one to watch, man. That girl's a straight-up killer. You don't see it that... You, like you never see it when 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 both of of a fighter's arms are absolutely fucking just out of the equation, you know. Like John Jones done that to people. Uh, that was Roy Nelson used to do that to people all the time. It was a uh, big country. He that was his move. He'd get people in a crucifix. Look, a crucifix is a terrible position to be in. Have you ever yeah. been stuck there before? By Holly Holm. Oh, really? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you can't get out of it. It's so hard yeah. to get out of it. Like, you have to be elite to get out of that. There's a few techniques that you could do to get out of that. The key is you have to get an arm free. You must. You, you, like, 
first of all, you have to really do your best to never let that arm get trapped like that. But if you're fighting a superior grappler and you get caught like that, and you saw, um, in a way, um, that's how Zhang Wei Li uh, tapped out Carla Esparza. She started off with a crucifix. She started out with a crucifix on her back and then twisted to the rear naked choke and got the choke from that position. It's a terrible position because legs are so much stronger. You know, like when your legs are trapping that arm, that arm's fucked, right? And then the head pins down and traps the other one. And then you're just, it's just head and fist and right. elbows in your face. Yeah. And you just get fucking noogie to death. Dude, yeah, I, I was at a Jackson Wink with Holly Holm and uh, she took my arms away from me and just showed me what she could do. Like, oh, Jesus. She didn't do it, but yeah. she was just like, and then with the elbow. Did that make you want to train? Did it make you want to learn how to not <laughs> no. be in that situation? No, not at all? Nothing? No. If a girl did that to me, I'd be like so upset. I'd be like, I need to learn how to fight. Fuck this. <laughs> That's so humiliating. It, it, yeah. I, I didn't see it that way. I felt like it was kind of an honor, you know? Well, I get it. Yeah, she, I mean, she's a world champion. Yeah, she's she's so rad. She's a beast. Such, such a wonderful person. Oh, she's so sweet. Yeah. You would never imagine she's a fucking stone-cold killer. Right. It's, it, yeah. It, it, it's that, that head kick knockout of Ronda Rousey was, like, one of the greatest knockouts of all time. Like, without a doubt. Without a For doubt. Sure. And it, to see it in Australia live... It was so fucking crazy. So here oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> she gets <laughs> you. <laughs> and she's uh, nice that she's pounding on the, the ground and not on your face. <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible place to be. Now imagine John Jones getting you in there. Right. Uh, you know, it's a bad spot, real bad spot. And Aaron is, she's so good on the ground. And the way she explained it when I did the, the post-fight interview, how she explained how she went for the Kimura, and then Molly got her arm free, and then she trapped it again, and then got the leg over the head. And then once she got the leg over the head, I was begging her to tap. I was like, please tap, yeah, please tap. Yeah, I heard that. Please tap. Please. Because if you don't tap, you get a spiral, a spiral fracture. It's yeah. a horrible fracture. If you watch uh, Frank Mir versus Minotaur Noguera. Now, Minotaur Noguera is a legend. I mean, he's one of the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time. He's the heavyweight champion of pride. He was a fucking monster. And Frank Mir snapped his arm. And it's I don't even want to watch it again, man. It's horrible to watch. But he goes for a guillotine. And Frank gets on top of him. So here it is, like Frank's on the bottom here, Frank reverses him, Frank gets on top, and Frank gets him in a Kimura, and when he gets him in a Kimura, he, he breaks his arm, and the snap, I remember hearing the snap, it was so horrific, see he's got it now, he's got it now, and now he's gonna step over, and now he's in side control, and now he steps over with the leg, now watch when he steps over with that right leg, watch this. Now watch this right here. Snap. Oh. oh. Frank is so big and so strong that your your arm has no chance. Your, your arm, and Frank has broken two different world champions' arms inside the octagon. He broke uh, Tim Sylvia's arm with a, um, an arm bar, and then he bo broke Minotaro's arm. And when, you, when that arm breaks like that, man, I just I don't think you're ever the same again. Snap. See that? That's it right there. So what happens is 
all the pressure is on this bone. And so it's like this going that way. And this bone from just the angle, it just snaps and you get all the, like he's got a giant plate and they have to piece your arm back together like a jigsaw puzzle and screw it all in place. And even then, like you've, you're always going to have this bar in your arm and it's probably, there's probably nerve damage and tissue damage and it's probably never going to be the same. Right. Fuck that. Tap. <laughs> just tap. Please tap. Right. The other time was... Uh, Khabib, when he had Michael Johnson, I was like, please tap, please tap, please tap. Right. And then Islam Makachev, he had Dan Hooker. And again, I'm going, please tap, please tap. You got to tap. Like, live to fight another day. There's times when you got to tap. And the, the, the Kimura is a big one. When the guy gets the leg over your face and he's just got that angle and he's cranking it, like, oh, Jesus, just tap. <laughs> just tap. I, I got another uh, MMA question. Um, Li uh, live odds at the beginning of of uh, round two, round three, mm -hmm. the, the, like they they show the the odds before the fight. Yeah, like like DC told me he thought that that could be a good alternative to open scoring if they just showed the the live odds at the. I think as a fan, I would love to know like how the odds are. It's uniform, always have what the, the live odds are going into each new round. It's not bad. I mean, it, it, it definitely encourages gambling, which I support. I just, uh, I think gambling's fun. You know, I, I support gambling like I support drinking. I, I get that some people can't drink. And right. I get that some people can't gamble. I do get, I've, look, I've known a lot of people that were addicted <laughs> to gambling. And it's a, a crazy addiction because did you ever yeah. see that um, Adam Sandler movie? Yes, the Uncut Gems. Amazing, unbelievably disturbing. So good, and such good. a perfect representation of a gambling yeah. addict. They can't fucking. They need that fucking juice. They need it. They need that next bet. They need. Come on, come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when they win, they go fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a real problem for some people. Gambling right. is a, they ruin everything in their life. It's a real problem for some people. But I support it because I feel like you need to have control over your life. And if you don't have control over your life, get control over your life. And if gambling is stopping you from having control of your life, don't make gambling illegal. Just you don't gamble. I agree. Get your life in order. <laughs> yeah, like as a an alcoholic drug addict, you know. I'm not mad at drugs and alcohol. I just can't have it. Yeah. Do you think that you could, if you had a different life, could have enjoyed drinking and maybe a little drugs in moderation? No. I, no, I, you I, just I, had that personality. I have it in my I'm fucking pedigree, dude. <laughs> I am thoroughbred. <laughs> I like like my, my, on my mom's side of the family, it's every leaf on the tree. Wow. It didn't skip a generation at all. Like, like for my mom, it was like. It, it was like playing Russian roulette with a fucking completely loaded gun. Like there was do you no, think that's nature or nurture? What do you think causes that? Um, I think that uh, I think there's a genetic thing, but it's a little bit like it's a little bit like uh, why did how did the fire start? Mm -hmm. It's like who fucking cares? Just deal with address the fire. Right, <laughs> you know? right. But I mean, is there cases where the whole family is addicted and there's one person that can have a drink with the, dinner and they're fine? Yeah, there you are. Know? There are for sure, for sure. 
There's there's no uh, certainty of it, and mm. and and more often than not, it will skip generations, and it will not be everybody. Just in my case, it was fucking everybody, and gambling was a thing too. Like, oh, uh, you gambled a lot? No, but but uh, it's in my family. Oh, like it's uh, probably the same thing, right? It's like this obsession. Yeah, dude, it's so crazy how like like uh, my dad's side of the family is just straight academics theologians zoologists like just everybody's like phd or like you know create like clergy men like uh, all you know my, my dad's dad like fought in world war Two and and was like decorated like you know the, and then there's my mom's side of the family it's just addiction gambling suicide like the whole deal my mom's father like dodged the draft he was in Canada, like dodged the draft for World War Two, and and like got like fairly obnoxiously wealthy selling bootleg gasoline because they had <laughs> <laughs> they had a uh, they they had um like like ration you know for mm-hmm. for the wartime, and so like like his bootleg gasoline operation, you, know, you could buy as much gas as you wanted beyond the ration from my mom my my pater my, my maternal grandfather and he became like obnoxiously wealthy was like had like a boat you know like fucking walked around with the crazy wad of cash and he the, the fucking dude gambled it all away and then when he was broke fucking blew his brains out oh jesus like Christ. I, I i don't know that i ever i don't know that i ever met that guy like um i was that you know, I was like a baby when 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 that happened, but like it doesn't make any sense because with all the alcoholism, that didn't deter me from becoming an alcoholic. But I did manage to stay away from gambling. Wow, a hundred percent. I've placed the, the only time I bet in my adult life. I've still never placed a bet in a casino or, or anything like that. But but uh, when I did a um like a a brand deal on social media. I got paid to promote some uh, online gambling thing. That was when I showed up at the fight and I was like holding up the, the all the cash mm-hmm. and I took the photo with you. Yeah. Um, and that was when I bet on Poirier and, uh, and, and McGregor's leg snapped that night. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that you was won my and first, done. That was my first ever bet. I ended up like uh, betting like a couple times after that as part of the same deal as part mm-hmm. of like the and and I lost her. <laughs> and then but yeah, did. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely makes fights more exciting if you've got if you personally have money riding on For it. For sure. But if you do have an obsessive thing, like I could see how it would transfer. For some people, it transfers to positive stuff. Like I know a lot of people that were drug addicts that became really fitness fanatics. Sure. You know, they start like uh, my friend John Joseph. He started doing Iron Man. Love John Joseph. He's great. Yeah. A lot of people do that. They become marathon runners or they, they you know, work out fiends. Yeah. And that's their their new drug of choice. Yep. Um, the. Uh... Fucking for me, I think that I'm just obsessed about about just doing shit, mm-hmm. you know, just accomplishing shit. Well, that's a good thing to transfer to. It's like, I think it's kind of the same gene, the gene that can, or whatever it is. I shouldn't say gene. It's the the same thing in the mind that gets you obsessed with your next right. high. 
or your next like wild right. thing, you could also transfer that to accomplishing personal goals and right. you know fitness goals and just getting your life together, starting a business, being obsessed yep. with the business. Like you can do it in a positive way with that same mindset. And oftentimes you see that with fighters. Like some of the <clears throat> best fighters, they they had like real horrible bouts of uh, alcoholism or drug abuse in their past. And Mark then, Kerr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. Well, he had it while he was at the top. Right. It wasn't something that he got over. You know, he actually, it, it kind of took him down. And what was crazy about him is that while it was all happening, they were filming a documentary. The Smashing Machine. Which is really crazy because they didn't film that documentary with the intent of ca of like capturing this guy's life falling apart due to drug 100%. addiction. 100%. He was on top of the world. He was yeah. he was murdering everybody. But a lot of guys get into painkillers. A lot of yeah. guys and including bodybuilders and powerlifters. It's like they're in pain because of the it's so you know, you're lifting crazy amounts of weight and you're fucking up your back and fucking up your elbows and your shoulders right. and instead of dealing with it, you just take a pain pill. Yeah. And just keep powering through. They say Ronnie Coleman used to do that. You know, Ronnie Coleman, who was Mr. Olympia, who now has his whole back fused, his whole back, like every spinal, all the, the, the different vertebrae are fused together. And he's fucked. Like, whoever did that, like, Jesus Christ. Like, there's different ways to fix people's backs. You don't have to do that. So how does he... He's in real, real pain. He can't he? barely move around. He's he went down and got some stem cells, and he's got some improvement now. I think he went to Bioaccelerator. Did you I went down there? there? Yeah, I think yeah. he went down there, and they helped him a bit. But you know, it, it, there's he's got a lot of nerve damage, and his his legs don't work correctly anymore. With all of your vertebrae fused together, you would imagine like still working the, out though. He can. I mean, he's uh, addicted to working out, but I mean, he's. His whole back is like completely fused, but at one point in time, I mean, he you see he's in a wheelchair. Like when he came to do the podcast, he was in a wheelchair. Crazy. I mean, he can kind of stand up, but he really can't move around that good. But he's got a fucking amazing attitude, even though that's the case. Like right. guys that feel sorry for himself said, "I do it all over again." I mean, he was one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, but he was different than everybody else in that when Ronnie was. At the top of his game, Ronnie was lifting enormous amounts of weight. Like a lot of bodybuilders, they just do very, very high reps and a lot of steroids. Ronnie was lifting crazy weight, like wild, wild amounts, because he just wanted to be massive, just as massive as a person could be. And he accomplished that, but he paid the price. Because he, you know, he would hurt his back and just keep lifting, like go through the set. He wouldn't stop and pause and assess what was wrong with him. I mean, look at him when he was in his prime. Like, good Lord. Man. Good Lord. Look at the mass on that man. I mean, look at the fucking legs. I mean, without doubt, one of the greatest to ever do it. Yeah, the, I just watched that Killer Sally show on Netflix. What's that? It's uh Oh, that's a woman bodybuilder, right? Woman bodybuilder, but she was married to uh this guy Ray McNeil who she ultimately shot. But, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's one of these like true crime type situations. Oh. It's pretty fascinating. It's just like a three-part. But yeah, they they get pretty heavily into the whole bodybuilding culture and yeah. Is a thing that happens to a woman when she starts taking steroids where she gets that manly look in her face that creeps me the fuck out. 
You know, there's like, go to the original picture that you posted up, Jamie. The original one. No, they're right there. Yeah, look at her face on the left. See how she got like, there's this like a manliness to her. It's like, it's very hard to describe. Like, what, what makes it manly? I don't know. But it's not just that she has giant traps and big fucking shoulders and chest muscles. Right. But it's also like her face has a manly quality. Like the one on the right, that picture on the right where that dude yeah. has his arm around her. Look, is that the guy she killed? Yep. Oh, sorry, buddy. <laughs> but look at her face there. She's got like a manly face. That's very manly. It's super manly, yeah. Right, there's something that happens. Dude, she she fucking went went into the bedroom, fucking came out with a shotgun, fucking smoked the dude, and then went back into the bedroom, got another shell, and reloaded it, came out and shot him in the face. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. What did he do to her? Was it an abusive relationship? They, 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 uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, accusations of... of uh, domestic violence? Domestic violence, yeah, but well, still... I don't think a lot of people are dis are uh, questioning the whether that was a good call. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah well, I think they're probably both out of their fucking minds. If yeah. you're doing that much juice and you're getting right. jacked up, you're probably. I think when you know, like when a human being is taking a, like hyper human levels of hormones you're not even really a human anymore you know this wild thing it's right. like part human part chemicals what's the difference between steroids like that and trt well it depends on how much trt you take right right so okay. if you're taking normal doses of trt then you're just like a normal man you're right. just a, the idea is that as you age and you take trt your body repairs itself and functions well and your immune system functions well like it did when you were younger and it right. works if you don't abuse it but if you're a crazy person and you say well instead of this amount i'm going to take double right. and yeah. i'm going to take instead of taking it twice a week i'm going to take it three times a week double three times a week that's a lot and people definitely do that and if you get addicts and you right. give you like if an addict if you don't have to go to a clinic to get the shot. You get you give the shot yourself. You just I'm fucking keep shooting up, and then you go to multiple doctors. Like if they don't have a database on whether or not you're on testosterone from this doctor oh, so and also from that doctor. Like I knew a dude who had a pill problem, and it, what he used to do is he would go to multiple doctors sure. and get opiates. And he was fucked up all the time. And he was mad that these doctors gave it to him. I'm like, bitch, you didn't tell them that you were going to take it on yourself, man. Like, right. you fucking did it to yourself. I know it sucks. And I know, like, you probably didn't know it was th that hard to kick or that addictive. But he fucking purposely went to multiple different doctors. Like, he used to live in Texas. Then he moved to California. And he was getting it from both doctors. Yeah. So he was taking a lot. And they'll listen, for a long time, they'll just keep prescribing it to you i think they're probably a little more sensitive to that now walmart just got hit today they uh they got a three billion dollar settlement today they had to give out because of their contribution to the opioid crisis wow make sure that's right was that part of like the, the right? yeah walmart sickler? agrees to give uh 3.1 billion to <laughs> opioid settlement framework well it's that's a tiny fucking piece of how much they earned, which is really disturbing. If you find out the the Sackler family, how yeah, much yeah. they actually made from right. lying about the addictive properties of it. I mean, right. pushing it on people. 
dude, when I got my uh, nose fixed, I had a deviated septum. I got out of there. And, uh, you know, once I woke up and everything, the doctor's like, okay, I've got you two different painkillers. I go, do I need those? He's like, you're going to need those. I go, but is it going to get worse than it is right now? He's like, no, might not. I go, but right now it doesn't hurt at all. I got to know what you're, why, why, do you, why are you giving me these? He's like, just take it. And I'm like, yeah. well, shouldn't I, like, wouldn't it be better if I didn't take it and then I came to you and I needed it? I was like, what am I doing with this? I never filled them at all. I'm I've like, not filled out a prescription for painkillers once since I got sober. Well, since you got sober, it's a right. good call. I've never had a problem with painkillers. In fact, I had my knee repaired in 94, and they gave – I can't remember if they gave me Percocet or Vicodin. I don't remember which one, but I wound up selling them at the pool hall because <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. I'd rather be in pain. Like, for my personality, whatever it is, like, me being stupid – was the hardest part because I was just laying on my couch. It took them one day and I was so stupid. I was like, I can't live like this. Like, I feel so dumb. Like, yeah. whatever it is with me, my own biology, how I react to painkillers, no bueno. So my next knee operation when I got my ACL reconstructed, no painkillers at all. I didn't take shit. Yeah. And so when my nose got fixed, the doctor's like, you're going to have to take painkillers. I'm like, for this? I'm like, this yeah. doesn't even hurt. It's like once they did the operation – it was mildly uncomfortable. That was because they had these big foam tubes stuffed up my nose. When you say deviated septum, that means like a hole in the wall? No, no. Um, my septum was bro- – my nose had broken so many times that I only had like one quarter of one nostril that I could get oxygen from. Ah. The other one was completely closed. So I could go like this <laughs> – and I could, literally couldn't breathe a thing out of my nose. And then on top of that, the same thing that happens to cauliflower ear also happens to the inside of your nose. So when you get a bloody nose, your nose gets smashed all the time, calcium deposits can form inside of your nose the same way they form in your ear. So my nose was just useless. So they, they, the doctor scooped all that shit out and, 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 sh- uh, and uh, shaved my turbinates down and then uh, reconstructed the the actual septum so the path between the two nostrils so yeah. when he did that when i was 40 it was like the first time i could breathe out of my nose since i was like five i fell down a flight of stairs when i was five years old and broke my nose wow and it's been fucked ever since then and then from that time all those years of combat sports all those i broke it in jujitsu i broke it in kickboxing i broke it in taekwondo i broke it so many times it was just useless but when I got it fixed, the doctor was like, you know, I don't need these pain pills. I was like, are yeah. you fucking sure? Like, can't I just be uncomfortable? Like, whatever happened to being uncomfortable? <laughs> Is that okay? Right. And you know what? Like, it's incredible how effective Advil and Tylenol are. The, the, both those things are terrible for you. Oh, yeah. Terrible for you. Do you know that if you take Tylenol, Tylenol is uh, acetaminophen. If you take 20 times more than the dose, you're dead. Wow. Dead. There's a lot of people who die every year from Tylenol poisoning. In fact, there was a really terrible story about a woman who had COVID, and she was in agony because she had COVID, so she just kept taking Tylenol. She died from liver failure. Wow. From fucking Tylenol. It's terrible for you. Advil's terrible for you. Advil's bad for your stomach. Yes. It's bad for a lot of things. But they're non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, and they, they, they cause gut inflammation in a lot of people. Like my friend Cam, he was taking 800 milligrams of Advil every day because he runs every day and he was always in pain. 
he heard a podcast I did with Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She explained all the dangers of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and what they do to your gut and what they do to your gut biome and how they actually create inflammation. So he gets off of them. All his fucking pain went away. Yeah. So taking anti-inflammatories for pain was actually the source of his pain. Huh. Isn't that wild? Well, if you're doing it on an ongoing basis, then I, I think that that is a dynamic that will, you know. Yeah, in his case, it was pretty extreme. Right. Like, uh, if if it's pretty rare that you're in pain and sure. you take. I mean, if you have a headache and you take it, you know, if you're smart about it, you take it every <laughs> now and again. I'm sure it's okay. You know, it's like everything yeah. else. Your Your body right. will recover. But you just have to be careful with that stuff. To think that it's completely innocuous just because you could buy it at a drugstore is not the case. Right. And the, the um, Tylenol poisoning, when uh, Dr. Peter Atia was explaining to me that it's just 20 times the recommended dose will kill you, I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's. I hadn't heard any of that. Yeah. I mean, I knew that Advil was bad for your stomach, and, and I got to be careful with that because I have uh, Barrett's esophagus. What is that? It's uh, like... Um, like erosion of uh, of the esophagus, like uh, the you know the tube coming out of your stomach. It's basically from like acid reflux and shit. Mm. And um, it, it's scary because it's um, it's often a precursor to esophageal cancer. Ooh. So it's something that I that I monitor really closely. Like mm. um, at the moment, I'm I'm stable with it. But uh, what but, caused that? I don't even know. I think acid reflux. But what caused the acid reflux? I don't, I don't have any idea. Is it drugs or alcohol or maybe? Maybe. How yeah. many people die a year from Tylenol? See, pull up how many people die a year in the United States from acetaminophen. <clears throat> when I found that out, I was shocked. Well, I first when I read about that woman who died when she was just trying to get over the COVID. 2000 it's responsible for 56,000 emergency department visits 2,600 hospitalizations and 500 deaths per year in the United States 50% of those are unintentional overdoses Wow 50% of them are intentional then <laughs> That's awful what an awful way to go more than 60 million Americans consume consume acetaminophen on a weekly basis and many are unaware That it is contained in combined products what about like bear, like bear no, no, and no, aspirin? Okay. Like uh, the people take that for their heart? Yeah, aspirin. I think in low doses is probably not bad, but I think even aspirin probably can kill you if you take enough of it. Yeah. Like, do, does how many people die every year from aspirin overdose? Let's go, let's Google that. Let's say yes. If it's five hundred for Tylenol, let's say it's fifty. What do you think? How many people a year die from aspirin? Um, Maybe it's zero. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with zero. Zero. I'm gonna go with fifty. How many people die every year in the United States from aspirin? Maybe it can't even kill you. But then again, I feel like uh, that that was something they said, oh, like one aspirin every day is good for if you have a heart condition. Mm -hmm. But then I think they recanted that. So oh, I'm actually going to go with not zero. Did they really recant that? I think they recanted that. Was that was the thing they were always telling you, take an aspirin a day. Not giving me direct information, even though I typed it in. I'm seeing it's the aspirin it industry. Ca uh, <laughs> it causes more than 3,000 deaths per year in the UK, according to what I found. Oh, that's a lot yeah. more. But it says uh, 
Holy shit. Especially the UK does not have 20, that big of a population. bleeds annually, causing at least 3,000 deaths. Whoa. Okay. Well, there you go. Jesus Christ. Daily aspirin behind more than 3,000 adult deaths per year. <laughs> so aspirin kills more people than fucking acetaminophen? But it is not. That's crazy. Yeah. So that, what we looked at, too, with uh, acetaminophen was just the U.S. This is showing the U.K., which is... Which is a tenth a lot of, of the population. Smaller number, I know. That's wild. I would have never guessed that. I was going with 50. Yeah. They, uh, seems that they did recant Oh, hey, look at it. this, though. In 2021, it says 227 deaths were recorded in England and Wales as a result of uh, paracetamol poisoning. I guess that's aspirin. No, this is Tylenol. That's Tylenol. Oh, you wrote Tylenol. Yeah, yeah I switched over back to Tylenol. To oh, see what, why'd you do the, that? We're done with that. Well, I wanted because I wasn't getting an answer for U.S. <laughs> for aspirin, so I wanted to see what it said for U.K. Since I did. So have a, Tylenol per year is half of what it is in America, roughly. But which, aspirin, I was trying to get three thousand deaths per year, and the population is ten percent. Um, That's fucking crazy. I would have never imagined it's that many. Maybe it's just because it's more popular. Wow. So does aspirin, daily aspirin, behind more than 3,000 deaths per year? But I don't know and who that's... Made... Yeah, I could, we could probably break that number down, though, too. I don't know if it's an accumulation, because it's not, it's not sudden deaths. It's not like they're just getting a heart attack all of a sudden. Scroll back to down a little bit. It says, expert warn, more people die from aspirin than COVID-19? What? I, I don't... I wouldn't use this. I wouldn't have. That's why I skipped past this. It oh, it's one like of them weird. Link. Yeah, I just wasn't even going to go are those it. fucking clickbaity cunts. Yeah. They'll <laughs> lure you in with some fake headline, some bullshit website that's in Macedonia or some shit. It's just yeah. designed to get American clicks and sell ads. They're so sneaky with that shit. I, I was starting to wonder if uh, if you were onto something with the the aspirin people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably a lot of money in aspirin. Yeah, and, and if if they were taking if people were taking it every day, does okay Google that? Does taking aspirin every day prevent heart attacks? Because that was the thing that they were saying. But I think at that time they were just saying like one aspirin every day. This was saying, yeah, this that the UK thing. I found another way of uh, someone else describing. It. it says around forty percent of adults age seventy-five or over in the UK take a daily aspirin and have lifelong treatment. It is recommended for patients who have previously had a heart attack or stroke. Um, this is where the three thousand number though came from too. Hmm. Major bleeds. So, is oh. Other antiplatelet drugs. Oh, okay, hold on a second. That says 3,000 deaths caused by aspirin or other antiplatelet drugs. Yep. So what if those antiplatelet drugs are more potent than aspirin? Is that is that? But that's the Guardian. That's a reliable paper, right? Heartburn drugs. Published in Lancet. From the for pa patients under 65 taking daily aspirin to prevent a recurring stroke or heart attack, the annual rate of bleeds requiring hospital admission was approximately 1.5% compared with 3.5% for patients age 75 to 84 and 5% for those age 85 or older. Huh. So uh, you know what it is? I guess it's a trade-off, right? Like it, yeah. it probably prevents the clots but also makes you bleed to death. Fuck. That's the scariest shit when people have, um, what is that, uh, that disease? 
uh, where where people they, they their blood doesn't clot. What anemia. is that called? Ane- no, not anemia. Anemia is when you have a, a lack of uh, blood. Uh, what is that disease? God damn it! It's at the tip of my tongue. Oh, I, I'm gonna know it when you say it. Uh. Oh god, this stupid brain of mine. It's so good sometimes. <laughs> my brain works so. My memory is so fantastic. Hemoglo- uh, yes. Yeah. The, yes. He, yeah. 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 Hemophilia. Hemophilia. Thank yeah. You. I knew it was a hemo something. Yeah, dude. I'm stoked. I got it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hemoglobin hemophilia. Yeah. 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 That is scary. Your, your body doesn't stop bleeding. Fuck. You don't clot. Ugh. You know, I um, I had a friend who had to take some sort of blood thinners because they had something wrong with them, and they had to be real careful. Like they they couldn't get bruised, right. nothing. Dude, how about the people who don't feel pain? Oh, that's nuts. That's that's nuts. Yeah, it's really scary. Yeah, that's nuts. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> like, what kind of fucking evolutionary advantage would it be to not feel pain? Yeah. That's uh, no idea you're injured. Is that real? Like what, all pain, or is it just like most pain? Like I, broken bones? You don't know you're broken. I, I, th- I think there are people who don't feel pain. Period. That'd be great in your line of work. <laughs> <laughs> Congenital insensitivity to pain and uh, anhydrosis is a very rare and extremely dangerous condition. People with it cannot feel pain. Pain-sensing nerves in these patients are not properly connected in parts of the brain that receive the pain messages. Wow. Yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. That's That sucks. Yeah, pain's important, man. Yeah, it That's is. why it's, fights are crazy because you don't really feel much while you're fighting. And then after the fight, you're like, oh, my God, everything hurts. Your fucking shins right. and your elbows and your knuckles and yeah. everything. Yeah, not feeling pain is not good. It's like not feeling sadness. Like you, right. you need to feel loss in order. Like you need highs and lows. Like uh, you, it's part of being a person. Like the stuff that sucks is, it's right. all supposed to be there to kind of get you on the right path. The path to yeah. not do that thing that made you right. feel bad and not do that thing that made you hurt. Like don't right. do that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw. Um... I remember seeing, seeing you uh, react to like some of these crazy kids that are like climbing on skyscrapers, and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, I remember I remember you having like a really pretty like visceral reaction to that. Like, no, like don't do that. I don't. Mm. I don't like it. I don't approve. And I just thought to myself, like, uh, I disagree. I, like, I disagree because I think that. Um, the, in 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 most cases with these kids, they they just know their abilities. Oh, they definitely do, but also they fall, and they die, and that's a crazy way to okay. die. Okay, falling the, off a skyscraper. Yeah, um, landing on a baby carriage. I, I understood, but I remember like they like one one of these kids because because I had a, a really... don't do it, James, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Jesus I, Christ, this guy's barefoot climbing a. Fucking building. Right. Woo! That is so wild that people do that shit. You know, you know like, uh, mm, don't do it, Jamie. Don't make and, me want. My hands are sweating. Feel my hand. Feel my hand. <laughs> How sweaty yeah. is that? And, and, and I'll take this off of you because um, when, when uh, I, I like linked up with, with some of these kids that do all this fucking crazy parkour shit, like from building to building, and um, I reposted on my Instagram some kid doing like some like fuck it was like he jumped off one building and then landed on the next building like by his fingers and uh people 
in the comments were like just like oh this fucking stupid kid's gonna die like and and, and I was kind of incensed and and I went on uh, my story and I was like why is it that uh, you know these kids are catching such fucking heat but then this other fucking guy wins an Oscar with <laughs> the fucking free solo like what's the difference well that's crazy too. You I mean, know, they're, they're, Alex has been yeah. on uh, the podcast a few times. Sure. And I admire his ability to do that. But also in talking to Gabor Mate, he was explaining that most likely what's going on is those people don't feel normal life the same way. Right. That we do. And the only way for them to feel really connected and alive is to put themselves in grave right. danger. It's just interesting to me that like, and it's they're basically all doing the same thing. Sort of, but rock climbing is undoubtedly a learned skill, and they have abilities that they have developed through. Uh, there's technical rock climbing, like they know what the fuck they're doing. It's still people die from it every year. Oh yeah. Did you see the Alpinist? Did you see that? Is, it, is that the one where the guy, like, you don't even see it coming, and then you find out that he died at the end? Well, I saw it coming because I knew he was dead. But right. the um, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know. And and, and apologies to people who I just spoiled that for. <laughs> uh, it's not spoiling. It's pretty obvious when you watch it that he's going to die. I mean, dude, it's it, it's, it was, was heavy. He was using ice picks and climbing on right. icicles. Yeah, it is. Oh a, my god, that was such a great movie. Yeah, I mean, he he decided that regular rock climbing wasn't scary enough. You know, and Alex talked about him uh, admirably. You know, like Al sure. Alex was like, this guy was so good. He was such a good climber that to him, he needed really dangerous things to get him jazzed up. So right. he would climb in like Argentina, these mountains covered in ice in the winter. Dude. It's like, and he got caught in a landslide or, yeah. you know, in uh, a um, avalanche. Yep. Right? Not yeah. In, yeah, and it it wasn't like uh, he screwed up. They never even recovered his body. Right. He's part of the fucking glacier now. Right, dude. But and when you climb, <sighs> like for anybody who climbs Mount Everest, don't you just like climb past like skeletal remains? Yes. Like yeah, yeah. They leave the bodies. Yeah, you climb past them, they, and they're white because like they're 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 basically just completely frozen solid. And and it's just like a white piece of meat, and then the the clothing is like ripped apart, so you can see the flesh underneath it. It's hard as a rock. It's like so. Wait, it's frozen all year round. It never thaws. Never thaws. Wow. Yeah, you're just up there, frozen like a rock forever. Yeah. And they leave the bodies there because it's too dangerous to bring them back. Like they've there's a lot of people that are like there's a dead guy that you pass by. I mean, these people that are up there doing it. Like, look at that guy. Whoa. Yeah, died. There's 200 bodies up there. Jesus. At least. They haven't they don't know the official number. Oh. Over 300 people <laughs> Mother have died. Motherfucker. How many people die climbing Everest every year? Over 300 total have died. So I don't know about every year. Mm. 311, I said, it's said is the... Uh, they die every year, though. You know what's fascinating to me is how, like, deliberate people are to avoid contemplating their own mortality. Mm, this is a weird one. The, the Everest one's a weird one. Because it's also, it's like, I mean, I, I admire people that want to take challenges on and, and do things that are very difficult because I, I'm just guessing that the sense of accomplishment 
after you do it is probably pretty extraordinary. But <laughs> the other hand, like, fuck, man, you're passing by people who didn't make it. Right. You know, two climbers found a woman alone and dying, yelling, please don't leave me, but were forced to continue and let her die as they had no means to help her and staying would risk their own lives. They felt so guilty, they spent years saving up enough money to finally return and give her a proper burial. Oh, my God. So what, what, made, what made them able to hang out with her the second oh time? Oh, my God. I know, right? <laughs> oh, hey, there's that lady that we didn't save. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> It's so crazy. Yeah, I read the story about this woman who climbed Mount Everest because she wanted to prove that um, being a vegan didn't make you weak, and she died. (laughs) Yeah, there's another one. Look at that body. Fuck that. Frozen, pale, white. The scroll back. The body was named Green Boots, perhaps the most well-known body on Everest. His real name was Swang Pajor. He died during the 1996 Mount Everest disaster. While descending from the summit, he was trapped in a blizzard and died due to exposure. Um, is there another mountain that people die like crazy? They trying? die on K2. Yeah, K2 kills a lot of people. And then there's other mountains where, where like, that's one of the things they covered in the Alpinist, where, like, a quarter of the people who try to summit it die. <laughs> Man. Yeah, these pe- fucking people, man. They just, they, look at this, 29% fatality rate, more than a quarter. The main peak of Annapurna Massif is the most dangerous of the world's mountains with a 29% fatality rate of everyone who tries to climb it. Since 1900, an estimated 244 expeditions have resulted in 72 deaths. Fuck. And the next most dangerous... Uh, Kang Chen Juana. With a slightly higher death rate. 29.1% death rate. Yes. Yeah, 29%. K2, almost as dangerous. Yeah. Uh, Everest. Everest, by contrast, is a 4% fatality rate. So Everest is for pussies. Still 4%. Yeah. You go up with 100 people, four of them are going to die. Right. I think that um, I, I think that uh, so many people are just hyper focused on not like contemplating their mortality. Mm-hmm. That like that they they fail to live deliberately, like while they're alive. There's that. There's an argument for that. Yeah, there's people that don't want to take any risks at all. Right. Now, listen, I, listen. I certainly take risks. I I'm mean, not suggesting that that you that you should take risks or, or or anything like that. I just think that by 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 living with your blinders on, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I have this theory that uh, you know, particularly in in Western civilization, like like in America, like where where we live, like actually being old is like a fucking party foul. You know, people don't want to, like, people want to take elderly folks and just shuttle them into a nursing home and not deal with them, not look at them. Like, it's, like, old people serve as a reminder of your mortality, and it just bums people out. Like, being old is a party foul. Well, there's that, but there's also people can't take care of people. They don't have the ability. If you're working full time and you have a career and a family and your father is unable to take care of himself anymore, you're left with a limited amount of options. 
Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to abandon your life for the next 10 years so that you can take care of this person 24 hours a day? Or are you going to put him in some sort of a medical facility? But then the big fear is that he gets abused there. That is the saddest, scariest shit when you you see those videos of people getting abused in nursing homes, like hidden camera footage of the last days of your life, some young asshole is fucking smacking you in the head and shoving your face in food. I haven't seen any of those videos. Oh, I'm glad those are I have horrible. Not. They're horrible. And yeah, and, and maybe it's not about putting people in nursing homes, but I just think that there's a real, like, a, a real, like, like living with the blinders on, like, like I don't want to think about it, la, 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 la. And then you end up, you know, further down the road thinking, like, oh, man, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? As opposed to really, like, being deliberate and and... and living the life you would want to have lived when it's coming to an end. Well, I think it's also a learned thing to be able to take chances. And if you go through your life and you get to, maybe you have a family and your family is uh, your mother and your father are averse to risks and they play everything safe and then they drill it into your head to play it safe and then all of a sudden you're 35 you don't know how to do anything risky. Right. This is like the life you've always lived. I mean, there's how many people that just live this sedentary lifestyle and they're just gelatinous blobs sitting in a <laughs> chair every day right. and trying to avoid risk. And by the way, those are the people that freaked out the most when COVID came along right. because they were really like genuinely vulnerable. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you're an athlete and you're relatively healthy, that was not something you were as terrified of. And those people got mad at those people that weren't terrified because right. for them it was literally like there was a demon waiting to get them cuz they were scared yeah. cuz they did, and the crazy thing was when those people got vaccinated they're like well I'm the smart one I've taken care of myself what are you right. doing like bitch you you live in a glass house like yeah. your your body is barely functional and you have yeah. no resiliency you know that vaccine is it'll help you a little but you've got other problems like <laughs> You're obese, and that is the one of the number one causes of death. Like For sure. the idea that you're going to be safe from danger because you got a COVID vaccine. Like, okay, well maybe you'll be safer from COVID, but you're still vulnerable as fuck if you're obese. Right. It is one of the worst things, and it's forty percent of the United States. Right. I mean, somebody said this. Uh, said, you see, super old people smoking cigarettes all the time because they're like fuck it <clears throat> but how often do you see super old obese people you don't you don't you don't i mean when you when you put it in those terms yeah. it, it becomes very evident that obese yeah. like it, it uh, some people can just smoke for whatever reason right it's weird did you see that guy who, uh chinese guy who's running marathons who was uh <laughs> he, he ran a marathon in three and a half hours while smoking cigarettes <laughs> so you can find that cat you got him? I mean, it's hilarious seeing this guy run. He's yeah. running, like, really good times. Look at him. He's an older <laughs> guy, too. Uncle Chen, uh, long-distance long chain-smoking grandpa, runs a marathon 3.5 hours. So this dude is fucking chain-smoking while he's running a marathon. <laughs> Bert Kreischer. And he's a grandpa. <laughs> but he's running, like, a real good time. Like, 3.5 hours. Okay, yeah. hold on a second. Back up. Back up to that video. That guy's younger than me by five years. 
so fuck that. <laughs> I just changed my tune. So I'm in way better shape than that guy. That was like, remember when we saw that old dude that got in a fight outside of the bar? And I was like, look at that old man. Because they said he was like a 92-year-old boxer and he's fucking these dudes up. And then I found out he was younger than me. He was actually only 53. I yeah. was like, oh, well, he's in terrible shape. That time is pretty yeah. fast. I was just looking at the New York City Marathon qualifying times, and for a 40- to 40-year-old, you have to be under four hours, and this is a half an hour faster than that. Yeah, no, that's a legit that's time. Like a really good marathon runner, three hours is the goal, right? They want to get under three hours. That guy's fucking hoofing it at 50 years old, and he's smoking cigs the whole way. Look at him. <laughs> yeah, Man, It's better than fuck. being obese. Fuck cigarettes, man. Yeah, fuck all that stuff. But look at them. Healthy as fuck. You know, in Thailand, uh, a lot of the Thai fighters smoke cigarettes. A lot of the uh, Thai boxers, they smoke and they drink, and then they fight. Yeah. It's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, super crazy. So, dude, I, I got to tell you about about uh, how I wrote about you in my, my new book. You did? Yeah, I did. Like, uh, just as an example where I was talking about how I got into stand-up. And there uh, certain people were, were not, like, particularly supportive. <laughs> you know, um. there's, like, uh, I made an example about how I went on Mark Maron's podcast to uh, promote my first special. And and there I was, and, 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 and he says, you know, I got to admit, like, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to stand-up. And uh, when I saw that you were doing stand-up, I didn't like it, you know, like, uh, and, and I remember thinking kind of like, like, why is he saying this? He said like, the same thing to me right. when I first started doing stand-up. Right, like, uh. Like, fuck off. Like, stand-up is an art form. Anyone sure. can do an art form. Sure. And, and, um, and, and, and as I kind of, like, broke this down in my book, sort of, I, I, I said that I really believe that the, that's an, a, an example of somebody operating with a mentality of scarcity. Yeah. Where, like, the idea is that, that in reality, these people are concerned that if Steve-O comes into stand-up and, and has success, that that means that there is going to be less on the table from them. It's going to take away from them. You know, there, there's not enough to go around, and, and that, that, this, that, that this is their way of uh, dealing with what they perceive as a threat. And that's operating with the mentality of scarcity. And then there's people like Joe Rogan who operate with a mentality of abundance where you're perfectly comfortable that there's enough to go around and so you're not threatened by anything. You actually encourage people to get into it. And uh, I just had to, you know, I'm so fucking grateful for that. You know, for, for the way that you supported me, for the way that you support everybody, and that you just want there to be more funny shit in the world. Well, thank you. But I, I think I encourage people to try things. And yeah. look, the idea that stand, look, everyone talks. Stand up is talking and being funny while you're talking. That, yeah. That's what it is. It's like you, you tell stories, you figure it out. It's, it's the idea that only one group of people should be able to do this and that it's our thing. Like, fuck off. The only people that think that way, they lack self-examination or they're using criticism to avoid looking at their own problems. There's a, a great quote that I overuse, but I'm going to say it one more time. Most criticism is the tragic result of unmet needs. 
they haven't done enough. So they find flaws in other people that maybe don't even exist. But the idea that you shouldn't be able to try stand-up because right. they do it, and it's my thing, it's <laughs> right. our thing. Well, first of all, I think you'd be better at it if that was if that was your thing. And second <laughs> of all, like this idea that no one else should be able to do it because they come from some other world or right. some other career or some other thing. Look, I don't give a fuck if you're a musician or like you're Dean Del Rey. Like he didn't even start doing it until he was in his forties and he became a very good stand-up. You can anyone can do comedy. You just you might not be able to. Like right. you look, you might not have it in you. But if you do, I hope you do. I support right. you. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do. To be able to go out in front of a group of people and make them all laugh and make them all feel better. Why the fuck wouldn't you encourage more of that? Right. There's not that many of us. If the idea that it's a, a fucking famine mentality, boy, what a famine it is then. Because there's only like a thousand of us on earth. How many fucking professional stand-ups are there? There's a million doctors in America. <laughs> How many fucking stand-ups are there? There's so few that are like legitimate professional stand-ups right. that can consistently churn out a new hour over the next few years and, and perform in front of live audiences on a regular basis and kill. There's so few. There's yeah. so fucking few. The idea that you wouldn't encourage that, what do you want, the art form to die off? <laughs> you know, because yeah. like it kind of almost did during COVID. I mean, COVID got weird. You know, yeah. people were doing Zoom stand-up and people Dude. were doing stand-up behind glass. and drive-in shit. Yeah, well, Where... you know, Bert did that and that actually worked. Yeah, Bill Bert but, was telling me about doing that. Yeah, Bert did those. A lot of people did outdoor shows. Look, I did a lot of outdoor shows during the pandemic with Chappelle. We did it at Stubbs in town, which is like this uh, outside amphitheater. But we did like, you know, COVID bubble, tested everybody, tested the entire crowd. So you had to get there half an hour before you got seated and everybody got tested. But the idea that, like, you shouldn't do it and it's my thing, right. like, that's just a stupid person. I'm so that's fucking all glad is. I did it, dude. Fuck yeah. You, you yeah. shouldn't be glad. It's fun. Dude, I'm not, Isn't it great? It's and, fun. Like, when, when I started out doing it, uh, and, and, dude, it's crazy. I've been doing I, I started touring in 2010. Yeah, for, you're for, 12 years into comedy now. Yeah, Isn't that wild? Super wild. The first time I tried stand-up was 2006. So, like, mm. way long. But I've only been, like, really, like, like in earnest touring for since 2010. There's a thing that comics also do where they don't treat beginners like they're comics. And I'm opposed to that, too. Well, first of all, I'm a martial artist. So I come from this mentality where you, you're always encouraging people to try. Because even if you're never going to be very good at martial arts, it will be very good for you. It will benefit you to try to get better at this difficult thing because it is a vehicle for developing your human potential. I feel like everything that you do that is difficult is a vehicle for developing your human potential. Whether it's learning how to play chess, learning a new language, writing a book, anything you do that's difficult allows you to confront your character flaws and allows you to confront your discipline issues, allows you to confront all the thoughts that are in your mind that maybe you haven't properly organized, and it gives you a chance to excel at life. And for people that don't understand that or don't get that, they're generally selfish or narcissistic. There's something yeah. wrong with them that they don't see that a person who is attempting to do this difficult thing should be encouraged. Because, like, if you're just because you started when you're 35 as opposed to starting when you're 21 or what, nonsense. 
Like, I met a right. woman who, she started doing jiu-jitsu when she was 58 years old, and she got her black belt in her 60s. Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing accomplishment. Now, is that lady going to go to the UFC and fuck everybody up? No. <laughs> so if, if she shouldn't, should she not right. be encouraged? That's crazy. Right. And the idea that, like, it belongs to, like, the youth or it belongs to people who have been in the arts their whole life, that's nonsense. It's a, such a foolish way of approaching life. Right. And it's also like you're... De defining yourself in this very egotistical way and like that you're a purist and you're a purveyor of the truth and you're the the only way that this should right. be done is my way nonsense right. pure nonsense by fools only a fool would think that way yeah I, to, to what you're saying about the the martial arts um, I, I really feel strongly that um, skateboarding instilled in me like the the most crucial shit in life. Like I'm sure it's like, hard. It's super fucking hard. It's fucking hard to do. Like 1985, the Back to the Future movie came out. I was in sixth grade, and I saw Michael J. Fox holding onto the back of the fucking car, cruising around. I saw the skateboard tricks in the movie, and I was like, dude, I gotta. Every kid thought I gotta fucking try. Yeah. There was a fucking skateboard underneath every goddamn Christmas tree that year. And, and like every kid had a skateboard. It was the wildest fad ever. And in short order, every kid found out how fucking hard it was to, to ride this goddamn yeah. thing. Every kid trying to ride it fell down or hurt themselves. Like at least 90% of these kids fucking, like they, they, these, these, these skateboards went totally unused. And the kids that didn't like put it away, the kids that stuck with it, I mean, it, right there, dude. That is a like a white hot core of just the fucking like persistence, yes. dedication, yes. like fucking sacrifice, yes. like like uh, it, it, like skateboarding weeds out pussies and quitters and and just isolates kids who who will figure it out. Go yeah, to, to just put effort and fucking yes. tenacity and 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 on top of that like the, you know the, with the with the getting hurt and the fucking do, the, doing it the sacrifice and then on top of that everything that you're riding your skateboard on you're effectively fucking vandalizing so like you know it's, it's, it's like rebellion there's like a criminal fucking right. like piece to it this like anti-authority piece to it there's just this like and um and 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 even further, there's no other activity in the world that that lent itself to to documenting what you're doing with a video camera. Mm, you know, right. so like skateboarders got a super leg up on on video production. Mm. Like Spike Jones's very first uh, video project was a skateboard video. No kidding. He started out as a photographer for a skateboard company. And the guy in charge of that skateboard company decided that he wanted to make a video because that was like in the 80s, like this was like what was putting companies in front of other companies. He's like, man, I wanna make a video. He didn't have anybody to make the video. He just had Spike Jones, who was a photographer. And Spike got that job by default. That And that was the 1980s, it was his first video project. And then boom, look at him, he's a fucking, got Oscars That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I support people doing things that are difficult because I think through doing things that are difficult, you learn about yourself. You know, there's uh, this, my right arm, I have a tattoo of Miyamoto Musashi 
because I read a quote when I was 16 years old, when I was doing martial arts. I read the Book of Five Rings, and this is, that, that's Miyamoto Musashi on my right arm. And he wrote this book, the Book of Five Rings, which was a book on strategy. And Miyamoto Musashi was a samurai who killed 62 men in one-on-one -on -one combat. And he wrote this quote, wrote this incredible book about it, but one of, the, one of the things he wrote in the book was, once you understand the way broadly, you can see it in all things. And I think that all yeah. difficult things are development, they, they aid you in developing your human potential. And you find a way to get out of your own way by getting good at all kinds of things. You cut through the bullshit. You think you're great at skateboarding? No, you're not. You suck at it. You got to get better at it. And the right. only way to get better at it is to practice it until you get better at it. And then you find that way. And in that way of getting better at that, you could apply that to playing the piano. You 100%. could apply that to playing chess. Everything. You could apply that to everything. And that that's why I have this tattoo. That's what it means to me. It's like this, this idea is that difficult things are tools. They're tools to maximize the way your mind interacts with life. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, so whether it's stand-up or learning how to play guitar or whatever it is, you can get better at things. And when I see a guy who's a comic and they're an open micer and they, they, they get a couple of laughs on stage, I treat them the same way I treat a headliner or the same way I treat someone who I work with on the road. That's a comic. I don't right. say, you're not a comic yet. You're not a comic yet. Well, right. you're certainly not good yet. But that's okay. That's the same as a right. white belt. If I see someone who's a white belt in jiu-jitsu, I don't say, oh, you fucking suck. You're not even good yet. You're not even black belt. Right. Well, it takes a while to get good. But if you keep going, you'll get good. Dude, it takes I try a to encourage people. It's fucking... Getting, getting good at stand-up takes a long time, Fuck yeah, man. it does. It, it keeps going, too. You keep getting oh, better. Oh, dude, 100%. You keep getting better. The, uh, the, um, for, for me, when I first started, it, it, it felt like such a, a, a departure... From you know, like I like like you know, I've been doing this this jackass shit. Now I'm gonna do stand up, and it's gonna be separate, you know. And I'm just gonna devote myself to it, and I'm gonna work to establish myself in it. And it was just me and the microphone. And I would do like you know, I would have like a a set of of stand up, and then I would do like a set of like silly circus tricks, you know, like whatever, and like have that be part of my show. And um, I did my first special. Uh, it came out in 2016. I, and and dude, I can't watch that shit, man. It's like, of course, it's so gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, th this whole like, you know, I had this thing like with fucking. Like, Was that when Tim Kennedy choked Young yeah. Conscious? <laughs> oh, yeah. I told you not to do that too. <laughs> well, it would have been fine, except I told him to drop me. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> and you get a head injury. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but then. The, what what happened was really interesting after after I taped that special. Then I, I went to go put together my next hour, and as I was putting together that that second hour, it occurred to me one night that the that the stories that I was telling comprising this new act of were things that largely happened on video camera. So then I thought, oh. then I thought, oh my God, what if my what if my next special. In post-production, I interstitially edit in the footage of the stories unfolding so yes. that it actually, like, it's got a multimedia quality yeah, to it. Yeah, that's great. Dude, my head exploded. I got so fucking excited about it. And then what, what, what happened next was I had to see it to see if it worked. So I started recording 
my my sets and then editing the footage into it. And, mm. and, and this was like the biggest thing for me because prior to that, I just resisted studying footage of my stand-up. Like a lot of a lot of comics have a lot of trouble watching footage of their performance. It just makes you uncomfortable. Makes you cringe. Yeah, and and um, and and that all went away because I had this idea. Like I got to mm. see what what editing the foot. So it forced me to to study my my stand-up. Mm. You know, like I, I put I record my sets. I put it in the computer, and I like bring in the the footage and dude it i saw it right away i'm like this fucking works this is epic mm. and 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 the way that that forced me to study footage of my stand up like the craziest thing the things that made me cringe i addressed them <laughs> you know like <laughs> like it, it it sped up, like it, it sped up the progression of my stand up so so much mm. by studying it and um and the, and the best thing too was that for the next like couple years that uh the, you know the, that I that I toured with that hour I did not have the footage with me on the road as like a crutch to lean on like it, like mm. like a, for that whole tour it was just me and the microphone and the shows were like successful in their own right you know like I got through it just me and the microphone no benefit and the footage came in in post production mm. and um so then I uh I put out that that special and like as as far as I know, that was the world's first fucking multimedia stand-up comedy special. I put it out on my own website, and I fucking killed it. That was when I duct taped myself to the billboard. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was to promote that you know me putting out my own special, and dude, I was fucking super successful with it. That's awesome. But when, uh, but by the time I I I put that out. Then I had like two like really big things that that, that were kind of irking me was that like up to that point my standup had been an exercise in living in the past. It's just like oh you know old footage like old fucking memory lane shit. I felt like I was turning into a schmuck like who won't shut up about what he could bench press in high school. Oh right, <laughs> like know? Al Bundy talking about the <laughs> high school football days. Right. Yeah. So I, so I, what I wanted to do next for the third hour what was to like create all new content new material that's current and i wanted to bring footage with me on the road so mm. i so i set about i set about like taping like new high level ass shit and what was so what's so rad about it is that over the last 12 years like my my various worlds have all just converged into one so now when you go see me on tour you're seeing me perform stand up. I, you know, I tell a story, and then after I get done telling that story, then I screen the footage. Oh, so you add it in the actual now, audience. So, so the now, audience sees it too. Now the footage comes with me That's on the road. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. Like the idea that you should only do stand up one way is also stupid. Yeah, dude, it, it works so fucking yeah. well for me. Like the sure, the, but you have so many different fucking things you've done. Yeah, I mean, so few people have that many extreme experience. You almost got killed by lions. <laughs> you know, I mean, who, who, who fucking say that? There's so many right. experiences that you have like that. That's yeah. great. So, dude, I'm yeah, I'm just really, really excited about the, this. Is my new tour. It's called the Bucket List. And and like the the bucket list is just these 
the, the, the most preposterous fucking ideas that I ever came up with, and I never expected that I would do any of them. And then at, at a certain point, I was just like, fuck it, dude. That's like the shit that hasn't been done. I'm going to do it. And uh, and so, yeah, man, like I, I've got I, I've got to let people know. I, I graduated from comedy clubs after 11 years in comedy clubs, made it to theaters. Mm. Now Now I'm traveling on a tour bus. And like the whole deal, like it's just fucking, it's exploded. And uh, I've got I've got a bunch of dates in in December, starting uh, November 29th in Philly. I got New York, like all around. I'm doing a run of uh, of the U.S. in December. So when then, you do stand up, are you doing mostly talking about stories, or do you just make observations too? Do you talk about different it, things about life? It, it's absolutely storytelling, but uh, but I'm I'm going for like maximum laughs per minute. You know, like it's uh, it's all about building jokes into the stories. Mm. You know. Yeah. So when you write. Are you do you sit down physically and write or do you like say I I have this story let me figure out how to make this story better on stage like how are you doing it, that It'll it'll work different ways sometimes I'll write it sometimes I'll I'll just go out and have the experience you know like um I'll 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 have like the the, the crazy idea for for whatever the the stunt is and I'll go and film it and then have, having filmed it, then I'll go to the comedy store mm. and just take 10 minutes to just work on that chunk. And so when you go on the road, are you bringing traditional stand-ups to open for you, or are you just going out by yourself? How are you doing that? I've done it all different ways. I've, I've had... Uh, I've, I've, like, I bring the guys from Jackass. Some, some of them. I just had Wee Man with me in Canada, and mm. that's, uh, that's a hoot. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cycle in like, like dudes from Jackass. Um, for a while I had my tour manager, like who's just terrified of public speaking. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to make you do it. And he did stand up. <laughs> oh God. He would, he would, uh, tell you do that to the audience. <laughs> he only did like five minutes. The thing was that at that point, at that point we still had, um, like, uh, we we were in comedy clubs still, and the the comedy club would like bring in someone, like uh, to, to to be a feature, and like they there was like no pertinence to it. You know, it was like you've got this random guy doing like random material about it, and I thought like man, why 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 not uh, fucking have my guy do it, make him. And plus the other thing too was that he started out. My my tour manager is now my business partner. Started out as my professional cock blocker <laughs> because you know I, uh, I I I had some serious sexual. Yeah, we talked about this the last time you were here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you you needed someone to keep you from going yeah. on a rampage. Right. And well, I think it's the same mindset that would right. make you a drug addict. It's the same thing. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So, so so the fact that he could go out on stage and be like, oh, well, we met in sex addict rehab. Like, <laughs> it's like pretty, yeah. pretty fucking funny. You yeah. know, there, there, there was a lot built into it that, that made that make sense. Isn't it interesting how the mind works? How the same thing that would make you a sex addict would also make you get really good at comedy? 
because you obsess yeah, on things and then sure. you just try to get you know more of it like what is it how do what how do i get right. those laughs how do i figure it out how do i present it to people that it's funnier and get that get those right. pops you know? Yeah, and it's crazy how some things you think are going to work so well don't work. And then yeah. other things that, like... But you figured it out. Some people never figured it out. That's the saddest shit. The saddest shit is that people... There's comics that... Look, I'm all for everyone trying comedy. But some people don't ever get it. They never get it. And I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Some people get it. Like, I've, I've saw guys that used to struggle. Like, Sebastian used to struggle. He used to struggle. And then one day, I was, uh, I hadn't seen him in a while because, you know, I got kicked out of the comedy store in 2007 and I was on the road and I was in Vegas. I'm pretty sure I was in Vegas for a UFC and I was alone in my hotel room watching TV, just flipping through the channels and Showtime came on and Sebastian was on. I was like, oh, look at Sebastian's got a special. And it was fucking great. It was really funny. And I remember tweeting it saying how fucking funny it is. And I, I got a hold of him. I said, dude, that was awesome. I just loved it. I loved it. He found his confidence. He found yeah. that thing, whatever it is, that f swagger. He figured it out. Dude, how good is fucking Ari's juice It's special? amazing. It's I'm amazing. I'm so fucking impressed by that. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for him because that was something that he worked on for a long time. And Evidently. Then, I mean, yeah, dude, it's like... It's really good. Fucking really good and it's getting really really well received and he's at like more three than million. three million yeah. downloads now it's three three million two hundred twenty seven thousand nine hundred ninety six amazing and that's only in two weeks it's yep. incredible not even two weeks 13 yeah. days dude I'm just... every day more and more people are watching it and it's really fucking good and he worked really hard on it and that's a thing man you can fucking get better at stuff if you can do it right but the thing is like comedy is with it's a weird thing you know, I encourage, like I encourage everyone to get try martial arts. The difference is, with martial arts, you might always suck, and you're going to try to get better, but at least there's like techniques that you can use that everybody uses. With comedy, it's your own mind. Yeah. It's like you seeing the world. It's like you can't really, I mean, you really shouldn't use other people's premises and, and, and try to copy their <laughs> shit. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a fucking problem with people. We've had problems with people where like, you know, they'll like... Guys opening for guys will start doing bits on the same subject these people cover after they even setting them up the same way. Like I had to talk yeah. to a guy about it recently. I'm like, hey, motherfucker, you got to stop doing that. Like you're you're literally you're you're. This is like a na you're in the neighborhood of stealing because you're working for a guy and you're doing his premises before he does them. You know, yeah. Step. It's called stepping on premises. But I'm I'm. Happy to report that that is not a concern. Well, obviously, <laughs> of course. But my point is that, like, for some people, they just can't do it for whatever reason. Right. I don't know why. That's the bummer. Because, like, even though I'm encouraging people to do stand-up, there's, like, certain people that, like, want to do sets on my shows. And I'm like, no, I can't have you on. Like, you're just not good. Like, and how do you say that to someone? You put me in a position where you're asking me to perform on my show, but I can't have you on. Or I'll have you on once or twice, and then I'm like, this is not, right. you can't do this. Dude, it's the worst. It's when horrible. Got, when you've got someone opening for you that's not doing a good job. That's <sighs> the bummer. It's and, so uncomfortable. And it's another thing that people who suck do. They like to take people on the road with them who suck because they want right. they want to come in and rescue them. Like people that are like mildly competent, they want to bring like the worst opening acts so that this audience has to suffer through 20 minutes of nonsense. <laughs> well, right. Like a lot of people are threatened by someone 
getting on there and, and killing it. Yeah, you gotta. That's another famine mentality thing. I try right. to bring the best fucking people I can find. Yeah, I try to bring just straight up killers, headliners, and you know, it's that's Ian a, Edwards. Yeah, I, everybody, all this Joey Diaz. I brought Ari on the road with me for years. Tom Segura. The, the, doing stand-up with other people that are really funny makes you better. It's like iron sharpens iron. You yeah. you can go over jokes together. You can talk about you know approaches like, hey, you know that first set I did it this way, but I think I'm going to do it that way. And they're like, oh, I have a bit where I did it fucked up for a while, but then I figured this out. And right. That's the beauty of the art form is that there's this weird puzzle that you're trying to put together and you're trying to like yeah. work it all out in front of live audience members. Like I'm in this weird place right now where I'm writing all this new shit because I've just filmed a special. So now I'm trying to piece together a whole new hour. And like I have these premises that are like infants. They can barely walk. They're like <laughs> toddler premises. And trying to find like where the beats are. And you gotta got to let them grow. Just like right. a toddler, you got to let them fucking develop muscles and, and figure out coordination. You got to put together these things, and yeah. it's it's a challenge. <laughs> One of the unique things about stand-up is every time you release a special or you record a special, then you have to start from scratch. Right. You know, like uh, my manager was talking to me about doing new tour dates. I'm like, I'm not doing shit for a long time. Like, I'm right. not doing shit for months. I'm doing local shows where yeah. I can do old shit and then fuck around with new shit. And then once I release my special, then there's no more of that old stuff. That's dead right. to me. For sure. Now I have to write and you got to figure it out. And, you know, it's hard. But it's there. That challenge makes you new. You know, like it, you have the the benefit of being almost like a beginner. You have yeah. an understanding of how to make things funny, but you're a beginner in the sense sure. that you you don't have formed bits anymore. You don't have any weapons. Right. Yeah. I took eight months off chunking together my my new hour. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it's almost time to do that again. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But it's exciting. And it's also humbling, right? And I think that's a good thing about comedy that doesn't exist in music. If you are a band that had some big hits, you could tour forever with those hits. And right. people get excited. But right. if you try to tour forever with some old stand-up, unless you're Dice Clay. <laughs> yeah, but... Because those rhymes. He would, he would just do that at the end. Yes, as like, of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, but... The fact is, like, when everyone knew his material, they still wanted to come see him in right. arenas. Right. You know, I mean, that that is, a, but that's a, just a completely different form of comedy that he was doing. He figured this new thing out. Like, like the nursery rhyme thing was like a crazy thing where the audience knew the punchline and they would chant it out with him and they were excited <laughs> to do that. Right. They, What's in the bowl, bitch? Oh, <laughs> you know, and everybody would go crazy. I bet there's not another example of that. I don't know of another example. There's a few guys that have bits, like with Burt Kreischer, he has to tell that machine story or people blow a gasket. With Jim Gaffigan, it's like the Hot Pockets thing. There's oh, Jim Brewer's got uh, the thing with the alcohol. The thing with the, the alcohol? Yeah, the thing with the, fuck, what is it? Where... Uh, it's like he's got different types oh, of Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, 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 Where they yeah. have a party in your stomach and yeah, then, yeah, then yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah, everybody yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great bit. Yeah. Uh, but Jim Jim is a rare talent, man. He's one of the most, most underappreciated stand-up comics alive because Jim can take a premise about things that just happened. He's so naturally funny. 
He's got this, I mean, it's not natural in that sense that he hasn't worked at it because he most certainly has. But he has this ability to like a thing goes on in the news and then he'll just go on stage and he'll have fucking 10 minutes on it. And it'll be hilarious because he just has a hilarious way of looking at life. Like he's a guy that like, and he's also, he doesn't have an ego. Like he's not a guy that like looks at himself like he's a special person in any way. He just does, he gets out of his own way, you know, and just finds the funny and shit. People that can't get out of their own way, that are always concerned about their image, always concerned about how other people see them, like, boy, that's a fucking weight you're carrying around. It's such a handicap. It's so bad. It's like, it's, it just gets in your way. And comedy's all about getting out of your own way. Like, finding what, it's all about being funny, but it's also about, about finding the funny without you being in the way of it. Yeah. And, some, and that's one of the things where getting good at things teaches you. Getting good at things teaches you the path to getting good at things. And if you're a person that's all you've done is like stand up or all you've done is whatever the art form is. And, you know, you, you, your whole self identity is based on you being good at this thing. You can't wait to show everybody how good you are at this thing. Like, ugh, (laughs) God, it's so exhausting and so unnecessary. And it's such a burden to carry around. Jim Brewer doesn't have any of that. He just goes on stage and just fucking, gah, fucking, yeah, and just and has the, fun and the heavy metal shit. Oh so yeah, funny. He's just a funny dude, man. I ate it going on after him once more than I've ever eaten it going on after anybody in my whole life. I was like three years in the comedy, we we're working together, and he, uh, he was middling and I was headlining, and I really shouldn't have been headlining. It was just like one of one of those days where you know you'd just get gigs back then, and we were doing this weekend together, and I I did okay every show except the last one Saturday night. I ate shit, but that eating shit made me go. I'm like, okay, can't do that again. Like, right. what what was I doing wrong? What what are these bits? What what's the, where's the fat in these bits? Let me cut that out. Let me tighten these up and make writing, them better. That's yeah. like I, I think that. The actually like typing up material comes after working on it. For, for me, I think it's sometimes the most, most effective. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways. The whole idea is just ideas, right? The whole idea is like finding these premises and these thoughts and then just molding them into something that's really good. And people do it different ways. I know a lot of really good comics who never write anything down. They just keep it in their head and they fuck with it in their head and then they go on stage and they keep going on stage and they do a lot of sets. Like Ari, most of the stuff he does, he doesn't write. Like he just has these premises and he works them out in front of crowds and he just continues to improve on those premises until it becomes a functional bit. But then there's other people where everything they do, they write out almost like a monologue and then they kind of tighten it out with, tighten it up with the audience. Like Chris Rock will have a... He'll record a set, then send it to someone who, who types it up and then sends back the, the Word document, and then he'll go through the Word document. Mm. Like, uh, Yeah, Chris is always like, he also has famously employed other comics. Like Rich Jenny was one of the best ones that he brought on the road with him, <coughs> and he would have Rich watch his set. And then afterwards, they would talk about it. Right. They would, you know, Rich would give him his advice or his opinion. So when you have someone who's a peer, who's also like a top level comic, and they actually have a job 
and their job is to sit down and watch you and then you brainstorm afterwards. That's a great benefit too. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that don't that don't do that. But I think Chris is brilliant in that regard that he did that. It's like a good it's a sign of a healthy ego too, because he's willing to bring people in to say like he would hire like two or three guys, like Rich Voss. I think he did it with Nick DiPaolo and he had these guys and they would go and sit and watch him and then you know they would sit down and talk about it afterwards they'd have dinner or something like that and they'd yeah. go over the set and then chris would make notes and and think about what they said and think about the way he felt and the you know and then he'd rewrite things and reformulate things and chris would go on stage and not try not to kill too he would go on stage purposely to try to find those uncomfortable moments where you like had to find the funny like he put himself out there, you know, where he was like out on a limb and like you're fuck. The audience is waiting for you to say something. Fun, and then something would eventually come and maybe it wouldn't and maybe it would. And but the ones that did, then he kept that. OK, I got something now. And then, uh -huh. But you have to be willing to try new things to do that. And one of the things that happens to comics once they start doing well, and this is a real danger for young comics they'll put together like 15 minutes that's good and then they can go up at the store and they'll have a really solid 15 minute set and they never develop another they never expand they know they don't right. ever try new stuff in there because they only have 15 minutes they want to kill they're sandwiched in between jeff right. ross and anthony jeselnik and they don't want to bomb so they don't try new well, stuff i mean dude for the longest time i was terrified of doing stand-up in la because the same thing, you know. Yeah. I, I, I want, I want, I want to kill. I'm like, dude, if I want to fucking, you know, work on material, I'll be doing that when I'm in fucking the Funny Bone in fucking Oklahoma. You can you know, do that like, too. Right. You can do that too, but I think you got to figure out a way to work it in. Well, right. I mean, I, I, uh, I let thank, thankfully left that behind, you know, some time ago. But, uh, but yeah, it was just really. Un it used to be really uncomfortable for me to go do local sets in L.A. because Steve O doing stand up. You know, a lot of people look mm -hmm. kind of sideways at that, and then there's the the fact that that. Um, the people aren't there to see me. They're, they're, you know, it's like, a, you know, which is actually a benefit. But um, and then there's the the level that in the crowd are going to be like people who are like, you know, agents, you know, industry professionals. Like it just it felt like a lot of pressure, and it used to scare the shit out of me. It should. Yeah. But you know, you're in the big leagues. You're doing right. stand up at the comedy store. You're in the fucking big leagues. You're at the improv. That's the big leagues. But that's also how you get better. You know, you gotta 100%. be. You gotta be scared. You can't yeah. just be the fucking hero every time you go. Yeah, hundred percent. And and like I said, when I took the when I took that eight months off to put together the bucket list, uh, it was all the comedy store. It was all the the improv, the Laugh Factory. Yeah, and the key is also doing different places too, right? Like going to the Ice House, going to the Ha Ha, going to these different places, get a different feel, these different neighborhoods, these different clubs yeah. you're working at. It's, there's a lot going on, man, when you're you're piecing together material. But, you know, I think uh, it's it's unfortunate that you had to, like, oh, Steve-O's doing comedy. Like, I don't get that at all. Even think, actors. Like, actors right. would go up. I'd give them a chance. Like, it, yeah. if you really want to do it, like, good sure. luck. I hope you do well. Right. I would love to see some person who's an actor, and then all of a sudden there's, they're a killer stand-up comic. 
Like that's fucking Neil Brennan, who's a great stand-up comic, was a producer of the Chappelle Show. He was the co-creator. Yeah. Didn't do stand-up. When I met Neil, Neil was a doorman at Boston Comedy, the club in in New York City in the Village, and I knew him from then. And then when he started doing stand-up, I'm like, good for you. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And so many people were hating on him even back then. They just, people are weird, man. Right. They just get scared and they I, don't want you to do the thing that they do. Right. I, th I think a lot of it too was just me putting that on myself. Me just assuming that people were looking at me that way. Oh, they definitely were looking at you like that. It's not putting it on yourself. <laughs> it's just I'm saying those people who are right. doing it were cunts. You know, right, 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 right. It's a, it's insecurity. It's all it is. Like, if if someone's a fucking housewife and they're f forty five years old, they just decide to go on stage for the first time. I'm rooting for them. I want yeah. them to do well. I want everybody to do well. It's a possibility. You can do well. And the more people that do, like, if I watch some woman who's thirty five years old or forty five years old who's never done stand up ever, and she goes up and kills, that's exciting to me. I'm like, ooh, look, she's got talent. Probably maybe made her friends laugh and thought yeah. she could do it and spent the time or wrote some stuff out. That's great. Yeah. It's great for the art form. It's great for everybody. Your boy Curtis from the Comedy Store last night was saying that in Texas, that's like the sensibility of the crowd, like more so than, than anywhere else, that they're, they really are rooting for the, the comic to have success on stage. Well, we have a really good environment here. You know, and it's it's essentially there was always a kind uh, there was a scene, a small scene here, but now like twelve world class comics have moved here during the <laughs> pandemic. So it's fucking yeah. amazing. Like the show tonight, it's Duncan Trussell and Tony Hinchcliffe yeah, and William love. Montgomery, and it's I, fucking great. I love Duncan Trussell so much. He's the best. I love him to death. Like my, my of my podcasts that I've recorded, my two favorite ones are Duncan Trussell and Kevin Smith. Oh well, two great great people to talk to. But yeah, great interesting people. Just getting into like weird like spiritual fucking like philosophical yeah. like what's the universe about like mm -hmm. those conversations were just so fucking great man well duncan he brings out a special quality in people too there's something about his inquisitiveness and his mind that excites a part of your mind it makes you think that way dude i i when when i was talking to duncan trussell on my podcast i told him we were, we were talking about consciousness and i said i have a theory that people are are making a mistake in assuming that the human brain is a generator of consciousness that that's where the word where the word consciousness originates mm. you know to, so the like the, the that it's a transmitter and i said i believe that the brain is a receiver of consciousness so like say for example if you've got a radio you know, you can fucking take a sledgehammer. You can smash that 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 radio to oblivion. You've killed the radio, but you've done nothing to kill the signal, right? Like the 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 signal is still is still out there. We're just a radio picking up a signal, you know. And that that's kind of how how I look at it. And Duncan Trussell, without skipping a beat, he goes, "Yep." And there's some people walking around thinking, "I'm the fucking Beatles." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 well, it's an interesting theory. 
Um, it might be all those things. It might be you are conscious and consciousness does emanate in you and the whole universe is conscious as well. Right. It might be your consciousness communicates with all of consciousness. It might, it might be, you know, we're limited in that term. Like, what is that term? It means you're aware. It means you're alive. So is my dog. Right. You know, I talk to him. He's obviously conscious. Sure. You know, he knows what I'm saying. He, you know, he knows I love him. Yeah. Like, it's like he's conscious. I see him in the morning. We have this thing we do in the morning. I, I always go up to him and I go, good morning, sir. My wife is funny because she, like, she doesn't like when he whines, but I think it's awesome. It's hilarious because he whines because he's so happy. And uh-huh. He always has to get a toy. He, whenever I like, he's, a, he's so funny. Like Whenever he gets pet, he wants to go get a toy first because he's a retriever. So yeah. he goes and gets a toy and he brings it over. And then he wants to have the toy in his mouth while he's getting pet. And he's saying, woo, woo, woo. and so we do this thing. Go, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I give him all this love, and he gets so fucking happy. It's so obvious he's conscious. So what yeah. is that consciousness? Like, what is that? Is he getting it from the universe? It's obviously in him too. Right. It's you are conscious, and consciousness exists. <laughs> There's something that exists outside of us. And I think that's where you pull ideas from. They come from the ether, but they also come from your mind. They come from, you know, states of consciousness, whether it's psychedelics or meditation or yoga or there's there's different ways you feel different times depending on how life is going. And all that is a factor. It's it is something is in you. But what is that? And, and how much of that is uh, innate to you and how much of that is just in the, the, the universe itself. Right. It's, it's a massive mystery. And I think to uh, isolate it to your own individual mind and to live and dwell inside your own ego and consciousness, I think it's a bit of a trap. You know, and even to just say it's not you, it's the everything. It's you're an antenna. Like maybe, maybe you're an antenna. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like it's a very limiting to define it in a way, because we experience it, but to try to box it in is almost to try to understand this thing that's unknowable. Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a weird thing that, to be a, a person in thinking, and there's so much, and, and also to be a person that has thousands of years of human instincts that were ingrained in us through genes and, and evolution for survival and for social interaction, and to in order to be able to keep the species moving. Like, there's all these things that are in us that maybe aren't even very self-serving, and you have to kind of navigate those and figure out the the best way that you can manage them personally. And some people are terrible at it. And some people, they, they push it on everyone else and they fuck everybody else's life around them in order for them to have some sort of sense of control. They keep everybody on edge and everybody's upset. And then, and then they get this high out of like, like having disputes with people and then making up, you know, like Ugh. there's a lot of people out there. They have these yeah. like, these little bitter battles with people and they really just want love. That's really what it is. But they don't know how to get love in any way other than like being shitty to people and controlling and then apologizing and then, you know, and then making up. It's like, ugh, those roller coaster type relationships that some people get trapped in. Yeah. Those super highs and super lows and fuck you, I fucking hate you. And then you're fucking and having the best time ever. It's like nuts. It's, but it's just, it's this management of this thing we call consciousness. And there's, you know, there's not a lot of fucking really good guidebooks on how to do it. And not specifically to you either. We're all this very complex 
individual machine that has all these stored emotions and life experiences and and genes and family and loved ones and there's no fucking guidebook for your individual journey and you can kind of like pull abstract thoughts from Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna and all these different people that can kind of give you like a, a framework to think about Jordan individual Peterson. experience. Yeah, Jordan Peterson is great for that too. Yeah, he's fucking badass. Right. And but but then also you see flaws in each of these individual people that are giving you great advice. Well, and then you see them fuck their life up, and you're like, wow, well, everybody is really on their own little strange journey trying to navigate this thing. Right. Yeah. Like Jordan in particular was on benzos, right? Which is uh, anti-anxiety sure. medication. Xanax? Yeah, and he got fucking horribly addicted to it and destroyed his life for a few years. Like, and getting off it was horrendous. When was that? Recently. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he just recently coming out of the fog of it all, you know. And he was he was on those things for quite a while, and it really fucked him up, like to the point where he didn't know if he was going to make it. Benzos are one of those things where um, them and alcohol, if you quit cold turkey, you'll die. Yeah. I mean, even Man. heroin, you can survive quitting cold turkey, as addictive as that is. People right. survived that, but benzos apparently are a fucking nightmare, a horrible nightmare to try to get over. I loved those things, man. I bet. <laughs> I'm scared of those. I don't even want to know what that feels like. Those and Coke. I'm like, mm -mm, you can keep it. I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want to know. Dude, it, it, we were talking about the deviated septum, and um, it, it, it's weird that for you a deviated septum meant one thing, but, like, for me, deviated septum means I've got, like, the whole— well, That's a perforated septum, a I think. Perf there you go. You're exactly right. I think that's different. That's, Correct. I think that's when people rot out the inside of their nose yeah. from doing blow. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I, I think can, Artie Lang did that, too. When I was in rehab, uh, Knoxville came and uh, visited me, and um, we took the shoelace out of Knoxville's Chuck Taylor, and I put it up one nostril through the fucking hole and just straight threaded my nose. With it. <laughs> uh, how big was that hole? Enough to get the shoelace through. Did you get it fixed? Did they no, like no. sew it up or is there still a hole in there? Still a hole in so there. So you could do that shoelace trick right now? Uh, it, it's, it, I've tried it, but uh, yeah, I could, I could do it, man. Should, should we try it? <laughs> no, you don't need to do that. <laughs> what is that? Oh, I'm so shining the a light. flashlight goes through one hole. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So that hole is you could put the flashlight in one nostril and it shines through the other. Holy shit, man. Yeah. The... Uh, <sighs> Bring up the shoelace. I'm sure that's on there. Yuck. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah, well, it's, you know, getting punched in this thing, it's like, God, this thing's so delicate. Your nose is such oh a my delicate God. little instrument. Dude, the fucking, um, like, uh, on on my second hour, I had, uh, there yeah, it is. That, that's, that's actually in the... You're putting it through. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> through the hole. So yeah. the coke just burned a hole through yeah. the center of your nostril. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so awful. That's Knoxville filming. <laughs> so <laughs> that that was before I had ever... Ah! <laughs> that, that was before I had ever broken my nose, right? Um, the really? Yeah. All the shit you did? You never right. broke your nose? I, I, I never... Uh, the... 
first time I broke my nose was when we were filming Jackass 3D, right? And and in that movie, like uh, Bam had this trick. He'd sneak up behind you, and with with one hand he would throw a cup of water in your face, and with the other hand he would like punch you with that. <laughs> what a great trick! <laughs> it was called it was called the Rock. He's a regular David Blaine. <laughs> It was called the Rocky, and and uh, the the purpose of it was to punch uh, you. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, it was it was to uh, take advantage of what at the time was like super new technology with the Phantom camera, shooting like fifteen hundred frames per second. Oh. You know, it was like uh, we were like the I think the first movie to to really really take advantage of that, and so like you would see in that super slow motion like the water, and you'd see the face jiggling. You know, like it was pretty rad, and they actually. Actually, like played the Rocky music, like <laughs> you know. Um, well, so Bam, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it doesn't even look like that big of a deal now. But what uh, are you I, talking about? That looks like brain damage. Oh, <laughs> that looks terrible. That looks like someone could get knocked unconscious. Oh my God, that's a, such a cheap shot. Yeah, for sure. It's just straight sucker punching. <laughs> it's totally sucker punching. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, you guys did some ridiculous shit to each other. Right. And um, so, so when Bam did that to me, he broke my nose. Oh. Well, and, shocker. And, and I was uh, like, I didn't do anything about it for like for like two months. And I was just kind of like was stewing about it. And then finally, like, I, did, I didn't like the way... It looked, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get my fucking nose fixed, and I'm going to make the fucking movie pay for it. So I go to this, like, fancy, uh, like, Beverly Hills nose doctor, and he says, yeah, you know, I, I could fix it, but it's been two months. You know, it's healed this way. So now, at, at this point— You have to like, re-break it. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're twisted. Yeah, so, oh, so now, like, uh, if—, if um, we got to re-break it. And I heard that, and I'm like, oh, no, no big deal. You know, like, I'll live with it. Then I go to the fucking Charlie Sheen roast. I talked Mike Tyson into holding out his fist, just letting me run into oh, it. Oh, no. I was trying to get myself a black eye. And what happened was I just landed with my nose on Mike Tyson's fist and fucking super broke it. And, and then... That was the last thing that happened on stage at the Charlie Sheen roast. So now everybody's like, I'm, I'm like just mangled. My fucking nose was so broken. But the show's over. This guy comes up. So you threw yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't. I don't. Oh, my God, dude. That's horrific. <laughs> yeah. And, and then so this guy comes out of the audience. He comes up to me and he says, dude, Steve-O, your nose needs to be set right now. And like that made perfect sense to me because of what the the – doctor had told yeah. me. Yeah. So this, this, the guy says, I'm a kung fu, like, uh, I'm a kung fu instructor. Like, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, well, it doesn't sound great, but like, you know, like, it, it's, he's not going to make it look any worse. Yeah, I've got very little to lose in this situation. So I sit down on the stage and he just fucking wrenches my nose into uh, position and and go back to that and before he fixed and it? after. So that's how Dude, he fixed it? 
Oh, so yeah. you didn't go to a doctor? I got, I got a Mike Tyson nose job, dude. <laughs> 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 completely... It looks great. Yeah. It looks they great. Did, did go back up to where I started before that. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely twisted to the side. Yeah. So once he snapped it, then you pushed it back into place. Mike, There's a video yeah. of uh, Josh Barnett doing that to someone. The guy got his nose broken in training, and Josh Barnett sticks a pencil up his nose and okay. corrects it and pushes it to the it side. It doesn't feel good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This dude's in agony. And, you know, Josh is uh, hes not the most uh, sensitive to someone in pain. So is a pen. Yes, I am. Okay. That's really clever, though. Well, he knows how to do it. I mean, Josh has been around combat sports his whole this life. This side's closed up. The other side's not so bad. So Come he's on. shoving it in there. Yes, you can. And he just... That guy's got to be in agony right there. I, I remember that. Jesus Christ. Dr. Josh. <laughs> yeah, so he fixed it with two pens. Now, here's the thing. Try not to f*** with it. What do you mean? Well, because it's going to itch, it's going to swell, it's going to a lot of things. And uh, you're going to want to mess with it, and it's going to knock it out. See, it's straight right now. Okay. For the most part. It's pretty swollen, though. Is there ice next door, Josh? I don't know. <laughs> Everybody needs to have a friend like that. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're going to have someone do it, have someone like Josh who really knows what the fuck he's doing. Right, he's I mean, probably done that to many people. Evidently, my homie kn knew what was yeah, up. Yeah, it worked. He killed worked. it. Fixed it. And you can breathe out of your nose, no problem? Pretty good. Yeah, what, 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 what happens is because I've got the perforation, um, like I'll wake up in the morning a lot of the time and I've got just this booger cork <laughs> oh no and, and I'll, I'll i'll like you know i'll plug. To push and well no try to like, blow it out i can blow it out but i'll, I'll blow out and it, it'll it'll look like an hourglass sometimes like because <laughs> oh. it's just a straight cork Oof. it's funny when after i got my my nose uh fixed i uh would for like weeks have these horrendous bloody boogers i mean they were yeah. giant like the size of a thumb I would blow him out. I remember I showed it to Tom Segura. I blew it. I go, look at that. He went, <laughs> he yeah. almost threw up just looking at it. it. Was These things were giant. I think I documented it on my Instagram. Yeah. I think I've got so, so giant bloody boogers. No, it was a long time ago. Wow. Might not have even been Instagram because this was like more than 10 years ago. Like when did Instagram start? I got it's it like, in 2012. So I got my nose fixed in 2000. And it's 2022. I think I probably got it fixed 15 years ago. 2009 sound right? <coughs> yeah, it sounds about right. It sounds about right. This is 14 years ago. Oh, it's a twit pick. Oh, never mind. There it is. You found it? Yeah. So it wasn't. It was before Instagram, right? Yeah. So here's the oh. tweet. Yeah. And then I think someone found the picture. Yeah, right? that, look at the size of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> look at the size of that fucking thing. Yeah, dude. Jesus Christ. And that was a small one. I had blown some giant ones out that I didn't document right after I first got it done. Because <laughs> it was just like the boogers were just like, I don't know. I don't know why yeah. I was like so susceptible to boogers. Like my nose is probably freaked out. Like, what did you do? Right. And there was like a, they had to put plastic splints up in there. So they stitched a plastic splint into place and they shoved these uh, tubes, uh, these uh, foam tubes. And they, the foam tubes had like little uh, tubes at the end to drain shit out of it. And they had to have like a, 
like a gauze mustache that I wore around for the first day or so <laughs> after the operation. But nice. I highly recommend it to people that yeah, there it is. See? So these like foam things with these holes. Wow. Yeah. But man, they fixed it. That's good, man. It's like if you you can't breathe out of your nose, there's so many fighters that I talk to. And when you talk to them, they talk like this. Like you could tell as they're talking that there's no, you know, they. It sounds like they have a stuffy nose because yeah. their nose is useless. Like Justin Gagey, when you listen to Justin talk, like for sure his nose is fucked. There's no way that guy's breathing out of that nose at all. Yeah. But like p play a clip of Justin Gagey talking. Try to find a clip. When you hear, you can hear in his voice the the nasal sound. It's super common. Like, I hear it in D.C. sometimes when we do commentary together. Like, I'm sure his nose is fucked. Oh, he had surgery recently? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, good for him. I, I think I've heard about that. So how's life been uh, without a fight books for you so far? You know, there's uh, it's really fast and then really slow. I, I really enjoy both parts of uh, this game. I got my nose fixed about five weeks ago. Okay, so he's still so, uh, swollen. I, you know, anticipating my food is something I've been really enjoying. <laughs> well, given that you, I'm sure you haven't been in camp or anything or training, given you had uh, you fixed your nose, have you had time to let the rest of your body heal up too from just constantly being in camp over the last? Yeah, so that's a nose surgery that he waited for years. If you find videos before that, like it sounded a little stuffy there, but yeah. if you listen to it before that, it was like probably completely closed off. But you know, Justin has that wild style of fighting where he gets hit. He'll he'll put people into the fire. He'll like grab people and jump into a volcano with them. Like that's yeah. See, that's how I had to have that that bandage thing. Yeah, bandage mustache. I love Justin Gaethje. He's great. He's, yeah. He's also got no ACL. One of his knees has no ACL. I don't know if he bothered getting that fixed or he's gonna wow. wait until after he's done fighting. But yeah, he blew his ACL out and he decided to just keep fighting with no ACL, which is crazy. But that fucking the world that those guys live in is just a different world. <laughs> Like the right. world of what kind of pain you can tolerate and what kind of discomfort you can tolerate, that's a different world. Right. Wild fucking humans. Yeah, dude. Um, man, I want to uh, tell you about my Tesla. <laughs> well, I saw the video. So send Jamie the video so we can play it. Yeah. If you get airdrop it to Jamie. This but. is uh, <laughs> it, it, dude, it's so much fun. So I, I, I ordered a Tesla. You gotta wait for it for uh, for for quite some time. Um, oh yeah, this is the first thing I did with. Uh, I, I drive to Vegas, and I find a crane operator who's willing to hoist up my Tesla over a hundred feet in the air, so that I can sleep in it overnight. So you slept in it up there? <laughs> yeah. Why? Just just because. Like Why? Uh, I, I thought it Why, Steve? <laughs> and Why? here's here's the, the, the craziest part is I didn't have a location. I, I I go over to the UFC and I'm hanging out with Dana and I'm like, Yeah, damn like what do you think if I uh do this here? And Dana's like, Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Who else would let you do that? Right. Because if I you mean, open up the door, we're sleepwalking and fell out to your death. <laughs> I mean, like the the fucking the uh, the the to to do that, like you to permit that would yeah. take weeks, permits and insurance, and and like that happened within like twenty four fucking hours because Dana said it's cool. <laughs> And, That's and, so ridiculous. Send Jamie the video. Yeah, and and so then I left for my Canada tour, like uh, 
you know, a couple days after that. And literally the fucking day after I get home, I, I've got my, my buddies have, have built a ramp over my Tesla. They just like mounted a crazy ramp and a track over the, the whole fucking roof is made out of glass. Like the, the, the windshield goes from the, the hood all the way to the truck. Yeah. I'm just, it's like skating over glass. And I got Tony Hawk driving my Tesla and I fucking jump my skateboard onto it and skate over the whole thing while it's moving. <laughs> With leopard tights on. <laughs> 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 Pretty Dude. ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, I just like I, I'm so dying for Elon to see that. Well, I'll make sure he sees it. Dude, I love it. Yeah, he's a little busy right now. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't understand why. I mean, the fucking the the, the fact Twitter that that thing. guy can do Twitter while he's doing SpaceX and running. T- I mean, how? How? Right. Uh, Where? I read some articles. I saw. I didn't even read the article. I saw the headline: Elon Musk. I have too much on my plate right now. Like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Fucking duh. Yeah, dude. It's uh, it's it, it's remarkable. But dude, how about the? Are, are you still driving a Tesla? Yeah, yeah. The Model S, the Plaid. Yeah. Oh yeah, crazy. yeah. You told me. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. With the the ludicrous mode, it's ludicrous all the time. I never take it off. Well, I had the the regular Model S. I never took it off a of ludicrous, and this one I don't even know if it has a mode. I think you just drive it that way. I mean, I never even checked. It's so fast. The idea that you would make it faster, it's. I don't think. I don't even. I don't. Even, I honestly don't know. What I don't like about the Tesla is that everything is on the screen now. Like, you want to adjust the mirrors, you want to change the temperature. Uh-huh. I like physical knobs and stuff and buttons stuff that you could see easily while you're driving like there's a little bit of that that annoys me that there's so much of the stuff that's on the screen wow dude what's up with that yeah there's no buttons that's my car that's the same kind of car that i have that's not my personal car but it's amazing car though it's fucking incredible the the way it drives it's just amazing I just would prefer uh, tangible. I don't like the fact that the horn is not the center of the steering wheel either. It's a button on the steering wheel, which I think sucks. And I don't like the fact that they took away the blinker stock. And uh, instead, now you have to press the buttons on on the steering wheel for left and right. I've kind of gotten used to that. But the horn thing is annoying. Because but, it's like that you want to. Yeah, but you could do a lot of the stuff with voice. You could say, you know, lower the temperature. Oh, you could beyond do... ludicrous. Is that what it is? <laughs> is what is the beyond ludicrous? <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, I think they're just saying that it's so fast. It's beyond ludicrous mode in the regular Model S. It's it's a thousand horsepower, a thousand twenty real horsepower. That's peak power. That's real. It's so fast. I have a lot of fast cars. That is, without a doubt, the fastest car I have. Yeah. And it's so silent that when you hit the gas and you take off, it's just like, it doesn't even feel real. It, just, it feels like you're time traveling. Like yeah. you're, you're just like you punch a hole through space time to move to a place quicker. Because you have this sense of what a car is capable of doing. And then you get in that thing. And it just goes. Yeah. And you feel like you're on a fucking roller coaster. Yeah. yeah literally. Like it slams. People to the back seat. I took Tim Dillon in my old one, which is not as fast as this new one. I go, you want to feel something crazy? He's like, yeah. I'm stomping the gas. He's like, Jesus! <laughs> like you, can't, you, can't, you can't believe it. 
Because you right. have a sense of like what a fast car feels like. And right. then you get in that thing. Which it's really good for merging on the highway. If you want to merge on the highway and you got an opening, you yeah. and all of a sudden you're going seventy miles an hour. Like that. Right. Like have you ever thought about like when when you're approaching a light and it's like uh it's yellow, you know you can make it, you know, because you've got the Tesla. But what if the person on the other side of the light also has a Tesla and you're both punching it? Yeah. You know. Yeah, you gotta be aware. Well, you got to be aware whenever you're in a fucking intersection. Some I saw some dude the other day just blow through a red light, just wasn't even paying attention. I see these cars just slam on their brakes. This dude just, whether he's on his phone or what, he just blew through a red light. There's it, it, it got to be statistics. Like since cell phones became like a real thing that like car accidents, have they just spiked because people are fucking around with their phone? They must. There's a lot of deaths that are related to uh, people being distracted by electronics, whether you're fucking with your navigation screen or you're fucking with your right. you know, your music on your, your screen or whether you're actually looking physically at a phone. Physically at a phone and texting is probably the worst because you're moving your thumb right. around. There's no way you can concentrate. Is, uh, is there data on that? I mean, like, I, I was oh, it's got to be off the charts. It's got to be off the charts. The amount of people that die from distracted driving, it's, fuck, it's got to be crazy. Yeah, like... Uh, Way more than aspirin. It's not uh, the deaths. I just... Uh, it definitely went up, but it then goes down, too. Mm. Around the time, it's 2010, which is when iPhones came out. Hmm. Not what I thought I would see. That's <laughs> weird. Maybe it's just cars got better. Could be that, too. A lot of things are going to have to go into account on this. Hmm. Right, number of deaths per population of 100,000 people. Going back up now. Yeah. Well, it's social media, distracted driving, all that yeah. shit. Yeah, not good. And then there's also, like, how many people uh, are suffering from depression and anxiety because of phones? Because they're just right. addicted to social media, and they're just constantly comparing themselves to other people right. and reading comments about how bad they suck and... Comments are rough, man. Yeah. I think no matter who you are. Oh yeah, I got yeah. I got to be a little bit careful about like spending time reading comments, man. I don't read shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's good for you to even read the good stuff. I I, I concur. Yeah, I, I agree think with that. I think you could you could get lost in other people's opinions and for you just yeah. kind of forget who you are and not not be sure who you are. I mean, dude, it it uh, I feel like. I had an experience going through an airport where, like, like one person comes up to me and they're like, dude, I fucking, you know, watch everything. I fucking love it, man. Like, you know, and then, like, I'll go to, but, you know, I walk a little further and now I'm at the, the security checkpoint. And, and then the guy's like, hey, man, what happened to you? I haven't seen you in anything in forever, <laughs> you know? And it's like... They're, like, it's such jarring, mm, you know? That's regular real-life interaction. Yeah, like regular yeah. real-life shit. Well, you know? some people just try to make you feel bad. Oh, look at you. You ain't doing shit. <laughs> I remember I was at a fucking CVS once. I'll never forget this. CVS in Woodland Hills. And I go into this thing, and there's this guy behind the, co the counter. He's, like, real shitty. And he goes, uh, you used to be on TV, huh? You used to be on Fear Factor. What happened? Right. I'm like, what happened? I go, it got canceled. <laughs> He's like, oh, it got canceled, huh? I go, hey, man, you're working at CVS. The fuck are you doing? 
Like, are you trying to make me feel bad? You're behind the counter at CVS. You think you're going to make me feel bad? Like, I'm like, I'm not going to tell you my resume and all the things I'm doing now. Right. But this is a weird interaction. Like, you, sir, lack self-awareness. You're literally working a minimum wage job, and you're getting shitty with me because I used to be on Fear Factor. And you're trying to—it was, like, really clear. Yeah. He had some foreign accent, but he was like— like fucking with me, like what happened? What happened to your show? I was like, what did I do right. to you, man? What right. the fuck are you doing? There's there, and, and also it, I don't want to say, hey, you fucking loser, you're working at CVS, right? You know, you're 50 years old and you're working at CVS. And you're trying to make me feel bad. Like, what are you doing? But some people will do that. They'll just, right. and that's the type of people that leave comments. Right. You can't read those things. It's so gnarly. Um, on the the distracted driving. And, and and this is something that I, I super wanted to talk to you about because you were interested in uh, podcasting in a van. Yes. Like, I, I was very, very reluctant to jump on the podcast bandwagon. I, I, I just thought, fuck, everybody and their mom has a fucking podcast, you know? And it's been, it's like, over the years, one of the more annoying questions, like, will you do my podcast? You know, yeah. I'm thinking, like, like, for God's sakes, like, I don't want to spend You think whole... that's annoying? Well, I mean, when, like, in the case where people don't have an audience, and I'm going to spend it's a whole... so much better than you wanting to do their podcast and them not wanting you <laughs> right. to be on. Right, yeah. That, that, that... Because once you have a podcast and everybody wants to be on your podcast, right. and if you don't want them on and they keep pestering you, that's more annoying. Right. I, I get. I get that. I get that. But I, I just like for for me to make the leap to all of a sudden being the guy asking, "Will you do my podcast?" What was a struggle for me? And I thought, okay, well, at the very least, let me set it up in a in a fucking van, so I can say, so I can say, dude. Wherever and whenever is most convenient, let me bring it to you. Right. And so like that, like, and, and I, I could totally wrap my head around that. Well, when I first gave a crack at it, I had suction cups on the windows, like, uh, and I'm fucking... Oh, that's great. But yeah, but I'm driving around. <laughs> You're doing it while driving. I'm not oh, very, you're distracted. I'm, I'm not a very good driver to yeah, begin with. Yeah, you shouldn't with. be driving. Doing it. You should be a passenger. I, I, have I, someone I, drive and sit in the back I, seat. I know, but 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 in in uh, it, it was a misfire. It, it was a misfire at that point, and then I realized, okay, set it up in the back, you know, park it. Tim Pool has a dope setup, and I did his setup when he was in town. He um, has a trailer. And the trailer is like a full studio with like a large screen television so they can pull up videos. It's got internet, the whole deal. And he's got cameras set up and desks. It's like really, really well done. I was like, ooh, this is good. But then I thought about it. I was like, I do too many podcasts as it is. I don't need a fucking mobile podcast studio on top of what I'm already doing. Like, shut the fuck up. I have to like say, I have to get my brain sometimes and corner it and go, hey, stupid. (laughs) Like, you don't have enough time to do what you do. Like, why are you trying to do other things? Don't do that. Like, that to me is a big thing. Like, don't do too much. Are you still selling fanny packs? Yes, I do. Do you want one? <laughs> uh, do you have I any that aren't leather? Here. No. Are you vegan? You, I'm not vegan. I just like I leather? just feel, feel weird about about leather. Mm. Well, if you get leather from <clears throat> uh, a company like um, uh, White Oaks Pastures, where they use everything, they use right. they I, I could back chew that. toys, leather. They they tan the leather from all their animals. You know, I had this guy Will Harris, who's a regenerative farmer, on, and he 
told me they use everything on that animal. I could back that. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. And that that is the really the best way to get everything. But you can't expect that from right. like I, I would assume that a cow is very valuable, like is as a commodity. You know, the meat is valuable. There's no way they're gonna just shoot a cow for their leather. I don't think. I think that they do, though. I think really? that in, I think in the factory farming, where like they uh, they they process the the meat to to eat, I think they're just fucking throwing away the leather. So they're probably throwing it away. What I'm saying is they're not killing a cow just for the leather. Um, I don't think the the, the, the factory farming slaughtering cows for beef. I think they are throwing away. Yeah, the but you're leather. not. But we're saying the opposite. Right, thing. right, right. And then the people who are making it for the leather maybe are throwing away the beef. I don't know. About Why would that they do that though? It's so valuable. Like right. it cows, it's thousands of dollars of beef. Why would you just throw it away? Yeah, that, that, I don't know about the other way. I think that just the fact factory farming is so gnarly. It's so fucking it's horrible. Bad. Well, the thing that gets me is like at this point with the amount of fast food that people desire. And this is the conversation that I had with Will Harris. I said, is it possible to feed people the way we're doing it now with regenerative farming? And he said, I, no. He said, not the, because, but should we be feeding people the way we're feeding them now? Like the way that, you, like, is the, the question is like, well, I'm like, if you have a place like Los Angeles where you have 18,000 people that are, or uh, you know, probably 18 million people rather, that are living in this one spot and no one's growing anything. How are you going to get those people enough food? And his thing was like, maybe we shouldn't be living like that. Like, because that is an unsustainable way to live. But that's a giant conversation. Like, what are you going to do? Make people move out of the cities? And people like living in cities. Like, right. But can you feed them in a way without factory farming? And it doesn't seem like you can. It seems like we made those places because. We had those other things, and they grew because of those other things, and now we're kind of stuck in this gross system. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrifying. Those videos, I mean, that's how I became a hunter, watching PETA videos. Right. I was like, I am either going to be a vegetarian or I'm going to be a hunter because I don't want to participate in that anymore. Right. I was trying to figure out, like, what is... I, I saw that shit and and had the same thought that that if you're gonna eat meat that you should have to become licensed to do so. Mm. You know, you should have to kill. You should have to kill an animal if you're gonna be allowed to eat meat. Mm. Well, there is definitely a disconnect when people eat meat. They think that somehow or another, you know, they're not doing anything bad. But those same people sometimes will be upset at hunters. Yeah, like that. they don't like it. It's very weird because, like, if you're hunting, like, that animal has the best life possible. Sure. And th honestly, the best death possible is from a hunter. If I shoot uh, an elk with a bow and arrow and I hit it in the vitals and that elk dies in seconds, that is the absolute best death sure. that thing is ever going to experience because if that doesn't happen, they're going to get torn apart by wolves. They're going to get eaten by a mountain lion. They're going to get right. ripped apart by a bear. Like, that is a way worse and way more horrific and freeze to death and, you know. Mount Everest. <laughs> oh, animals freeze to death every year. There's, like, die-offs, like mule deer die-offs. Every hard winter, you'll, you'll lose, like, thousands of mule deer that die off, just freeze to death. It happens. You know, it's like there's trade-offs, right? It's not, it's not good in any way. 
And if you want to eat meat, you know, if you want to buy it in a way that you feel good about it, like a regenerative farm is without a doubt the best place to get it from. Like a place like White Oak Pastures where they're just they're, – they're living in these giant fields of grass and they're just roaming around. They're 100% grass-fed. They just live like they normally live and then right. one day they have one bad moment. So regenerative farming. Regenerative farming means like one ecosystem yes, in one place. Yes, yes, right. yes. They 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 essentially mimic nature right. in a controlled space. Like that documentary, the 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 biggest little farm or. Mm, I don't know about that one. Yeah, it's uh, but it's probably the same sort of a situation. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy um, named Joel Salatin. I've had him on the podcast a couple times as well, and he has a place called Polyface Farms, and it's the same sort of a situation where they use the manure to fertilize the right. land. That's and, exactly right. And then and then they also move the animals around, so they're going to new places, and and by chewing up the grass the way the cows do, it actually benefits the land. And the way Joel Salton and um, uh, Will Harris have it with uh, White Oaks Pastures, it's actually carbon negative. Like they, they don't produce more carbon. They actually sequester more carbon into the earth. Right. Yeah. You'd think that more people would do that shit. It's hard. He um, lives in this place where he's surrounded by people who do industrialized farming and he does regenerative farming. And the stark contrast between the runoff, like he, he showed us a video and there's the river that runs through his area and there's where his farm is and then there's the property line where his neighbor who has an industrialized farm. And the industrialized farm, all the topsoil's gone, right? So they're using this all this fucking artificial... Uh, fertilizer and look at the difference there's a clear line look at the line so his his river is normal and then if you see that line in the river where to the right of that gentleman is all dark and muddy and fucked up that's all toxic shit that's getting washed out of the industrialized farm into that river and poisoning the river and people that eat just vegetables and think that they're doing a great thing for the environment, they don't take into account how those vegetables are grown. Monocrop agriculture in an industrial setting is devastating to the environment. It's devastating to wildlife. It's devastating to all the insects and all the, 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 the different animals that live in those farms. And not to mention that all of the fucking processed soy and wheat is devastating to your body. Oh, sure. And also the glyphosate. The, you know, like the that the roundup fuck, stuff, the fucking fake vegan meat. Oh, it's horrible. For that me. was like I was vegan for a while there, and um, <clears throat> I went to <clears throat> a uh, colon uh, colon colonic hydrotherapy. Right? Oh, you got your butt flushed out. Yeah, I got my butt flushed out, and uh, the person, how was that? It was cool. I mean, I, I was just trying it out. I bet you're the only person who ever said it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and um, the person said, oh, man, what are you eating? You know, like you got all this yeasty, you know, like, like uh, they, you know, and I was like, the oh. shit experts. 
I'm like, I'm like, I, I, I told them I'm, I'm vegan, and they were like, oh, well, that's the problem is that like you're eating this highly processed fucking soy and wheat that your mm-hmm. body does not recognize as food, and clearly your body's struggling to break it down. Ugh. It's like it's like the, it's an absurd substance posing as food. Well, those Impossible Burgers we we showed a study the other day that was showing that it's toxic for rats. Yeah, they they fed. Rats, the Impossible Burger, and the rats are getting sick. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, if you, there's many, many, many healthy vegetarian choices, especially like uh, sure. some Indian cuisine that's vegetarian, it tastes great, good for you, but it's just vegetables. It's not right. that shit. That shit that's mimicking meat, like oh, yeah, and, and seed oils and all the fucking horrible things that uh, people eat that are supposed to be used as industrial lubricants and they've converted it to food for people. <laughs> I mean, that's really what seed oils are. Yeah. And in high concentrations and high levels of it, it's very inflammatory. There's all these studies done on it. It, it causes macular degeneration. Like Paul Saladino sent me all these studies that are showing that uh, high levels of seed oils is actually contributing to eyesight diminishing in people. That. Yeah. Um. Yeah, what's the the really dangerous? Uh, is it, is it unsaturated, polyunsaturated? Yeah, there's there's fats that uh, the the problem with them is when people cook in them, particularly. They they're not so good for salad dressings either. But when people cook in them, they uh, they break down under heat. And it that that causes a lot of inflammation in people's bodies when people mm. cook with those seed oils. Like again, they were supposed they were originally created because like grapeseed oil. It was created because they were trying to figure out what to do with these grape seeds. Like, oh, maybe we can get oil out of them, process it. But it's like highly processed, and they have to do something to take the smell out of it and the taste out of it, and like really processed shit. And then when you cook with it, it breaks it down and oxidizes it. And it's just terrible for you. It's, you're, you're supposed to like cook with like beef tallow is really good to cook with, but there's some saturated fats and there's some natural fats that are good for you. Like avocado oil is good for you. There's oils that are good for you, but those oils are coming from. It, I mean, avocado is essentially a fruit. Right. You know, it's olive oil is good. Right? Olive oil is fantastic for yeah. you. Yeah. It's like, like a people super in food. Italy live forever. Yeah. Well, they also have different wheat over there too. They go over there and eat pasta, and they deal. They're dealing with heirloom wheat. Right. right, so our wheat has more complex glutens in it, and it's highly uh, right. processed to to develop more yield per acre. I remember in uh, it was like fucking 2011 or something. I'm having a dinner with Big J Okerson. I love Big J. He's the best. He says, "What's up?" What's up with gluten, man? Five years ago, nobody ever heard of it. Now it's killing everybody. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and it's true. And I wonder if, uh, if, if, like the the processed, the maybe it's the, what do you call it, MGO or whatever, uh, modified, the modified organism. What do you call it? Yeah, uh, GMO. GMO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Genetically yeah. modified organisms. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what we're talking about. It's it's like they've what they've essentially done is taking a normal wheat plant and they've engineered it to create a higher yield. And because of that, there's more complex glutens in it. And that has it gives your body it's more difficult to break down. And but, is that a newer thing? Yeah. And so now more you've recent, got... but you know, and they don't do it in Italy. 
Like right. in, in, they also it's, in it's Italy, they don't use glyphosate. They don't use Roundup. Right. Like these herbicides. Like there was a study recently that showed there was something, what was like 80%, 80% of the people they tested, they found glyphosate in their blood. So you're eating all these plants that have been sprayed with herbicides, and that herbicide shows up in your body. And all these people, these shills would be like, oh, well, it's just a small amount. It's just a small amount of the poison. Don't worry about it. It's fine. We should keep using it. That's how we're feeding everybody. It's yeah. only, only one way. Got to take the poison. And, and the Monsanto people have, at the Monsanto headquarters, they serve organic food. Do they really? Yeah. It's like. You sure? I think so. I, 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 Is that true? Google that. I, I, that I, that I, seems I, like bad PR. <laughs> <laughs> seems like that's going to get out. Right, right. Yeah. What, uh, that's hilarious, though, if it's I, true. I, I, yeah, they don't fucking fuck with their own shit. Well, you know, we're supposed to be eating organisms in the way that they form in nature. You know, the healthy right. things in nature, healthy fruits, healthy vegetables, healthy animals and eggs. That's how you're supposed to eat it. That's what, well, you know, in factory farming, whether it's both monocrop agriculture in terms of growing food and even growing animals, like we're fucking with things. We're fucking with nature. And there's, there's trade-offs and consequences when you do that. And yeah. I don't, you know, I think there's definitely people that are just allergic to gluten. But man, I know that when I eat wheat and I eat bread and pasta when I'm in Italy, my body has a different reaction to it. You don't feel as like weighed down. You know, you don't feel as, like, bloated and just, ugh. Yeah. But then again, bread's delicious. Fucking good, man. <laughs> nice piece of bread with some butter on it. Oh, so good. I, nice fucking slice of lasagna. Woo. Yeah. I think it's one of those every now and then things. You, like, I was in um, New York City this past weekend, and I ate at this uh, great Italian place called Carbone. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, it was amazing. So good. If you go there, try the spicy rigatoni. It's fantastic. But it's like, don't do it every day. But I got to tell you, the next day I felt a little fat, felt a little bloated. <laughs> yeah. I uh, went for a while there, and I was avoiding flour and sugar. And my buddy says, man, whatever cookies you're eating must suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, they make cookies with, like, almond flour that are pretty good. They, they, you can buy gluten-free cookies that aren't bad. So one of my kids has an, an legit allergy to gluten. So, celiac disease? No, it's not that. It's not that bad. I have a friend who has celiac disease, though, and he didn't find out about it until he was, like, 30. Like, he just was trying to figure That's out what was going on. the best answer I could find on the Monsanto thing. I haven't asked Hugh Grant, Monsanto CEO, this question directly, but I'll say he doesn't care. Here's why I feel like I can say that. I work in the same building, just a floor away. We both regularly eat in our campus cafeteria. In our <coughs> cafeteria... It's just regular food. Most of us prioritize nutrition, freshness, taste, etc. We also like to purchase products that we have a connection to. We always get great turnout when we have products that come in directly from customers. That's true whether they're conventional, GMO, or organic. Well, that's like a non-answer. Yeah, that sounds like... Yeah. I can say he doesn't care. I haven't asked the CEO this question directly, but I'd say he doesn't care. Well, if... If you're asking them, like, well, if he doesn't care, right, do you think Monsanto CEO eats organic or doesn't really care? That's just the CEO. Say he doesn't care. Well, I mean, they have some information like that on their website. Yeah, too. I mean, who, just, kno who yeah. knows if he cares? Maybe he's just greedy. He just wants that cheddar. <laughs> you know, just wants to keep making that cash. Yeah. A lot of money in Monsanto. 
Dude, let me tell you about about what what, what I'm selling for cheddar. You're selling things. Yeah, what are you selling? Dude. You got a bag of stuff you're selling. Stevo's butt wipes for your butthole. Oh, well, that's where generally you'd use a butt wipe. <laughs> yeah, flushable butt you wipes. You wouldn't use dude. it for your cheeks. <laughs> They're flushable, right. not really. Let me tell you something about those flushable butt wipes. Don't oh. flush them. Oh yeah. No, they all fucking clog. Talk to a plumber. Those fucking things all clog up. They don't break down. They all get stuck. Oh, they get shit. stuck in pipes. Yeah. I, I picked the wrong place to Listen, fucking... <laughs> Google are butt wipes flushable. Flushable butt wipes. Are they flushable? They're not. They, they yeah. tell you don't flush them. If you flush... Talk to a plumber. They fucking have people's pipes clogged up all the time with those things. Wow. It's, uh, it's like essentially a cloth. You're, you're fucking... You're flushing a rag. Down the toilet. You're not even supposed to flush paper towels. T paper towels break down in your hand when you get them wet. Those things don't break down. <laughs> don't tell those. I uh, find, I find I, out though. For, well, for so two, two, um, two answers come up. One, a company selling it so it says like theirs are flushable, showing sure a video of it. They are. You can flush them. That's not the point. The point is they're not going to break down. They're going to make their way out into wherever the fuck that water so this goes. This is what their their video shows of breaking down. Yeah, but so. again, this is theirs, and I don't know that okay. all of them are made this way. But that's Am toilet I... paper, buddy. No, no. One Hold on, them... go back, go I... back to that video. One of them was toilet paper, the other was the flushable. Right, wipe. but the flushable wipe wasn't breaking down. The yeah, toilet yeah, paper was breaking down. The flushable wipe on the right is breaking down slower. Huh, I guess so. Cottonelle break down like toilet paper. All right, Just maybe saying. they're making it different. Yeah, but, but I know there's flushable wipes that my plumber told me don't fucking flush these things. All right, like this one says. Um, so this one says don't do it. Dangers of flushing those flushable wipes. People aren't flushing wipes down the toilet. Oh, people are flushing flushable wipes down the toilet, and this is causing dangerous problems. Toilet paper is designed to disintegrate in our pipes and sewage system, but flushable wipes are not. They're typically made with synthetic materials, plastics, or polyester that won't break down. So even if they flush down your toilet, they end up clogging our sewers. So maybe that other stuff that Cottonelle sends, the cells does break down. Hold on. Go back. Wow. It says, uh, as wipes meet cooking fat in the sewage system, it builds up into a monstrous obstacle, a.k.a. a fatberg. I've seen that. A mass of solid waste consisting of cooking fats, disposable wipes, tampons, and other sanitary items that get flushed down the commode. They're unhygienic, expensive to fix, and incredibly gross. If you're curious, just check out the Museum, Museum of London's Fatberg Autopsy. Clogs and fatbergs made job, make jobs that are already hazardous and very difficult, even more so. Wow. So whatever that Cottonelle stuff that breaks down, maybe that's better. Or maybe whatever it breaks down to is toxic. I mean, I don't know what, it, what, what's, I'm what gonna it's have, made I'm gonna have out to of. look into this. Yeah. But now, re regardless of what happens after you flush it, the experience of using a, 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 a butt wipe is better. way better than toilet paper. It is way better than toilet I paper. I fucking love it, man. I, can, I, couldn't, I couldn't wipe my butt with dry toilet paper ever again. Do you use a um, one of those um, toilets uh, that squirts tushy? water in your butt? Love it. Those the are the bidet. best. We have them here. Yeah. Love that shit. Game changer. Big time. You're supposed to wash your butt off. You're not supposed to smear shit all <laughs> over it with a paper. Uh, Ugh. On my podcast, of all the sponsors that I do ad reads for, I always say my favorite 
uh, sponsor of the podcast is Tushy. It's a legit product. It's the best. And the Tushy one, you can connect to a regular toilet. Right. You don't even need to buy like a whole new toilet. And a whole, right. It's like a pretty simple setup. And then they came out with the new one that's a fucking, it's a whole toilet seat that comes mm. with it. And the mm. toilet seat's heated. Oh. It's got a fucking remote control. You mm. control the, the temperature of the water you're blasting your butthole with. Yeah. <laughs> so much better. Yeah. It's yeah. Got, it, yeah. Once you do that, you can know. I, the first time I experienced that was in Japan. When I was in Japan, they had those yeah. years and years ago. I was like, ooh, this is way right. better. Like, why don't we do that? Right. We have water in there. Just figure out a way to squirt the water. You got to have squatty potty and you got to have mm -hmm. the day. Yeah. So you're selling hot sauce too? Hot sauce, yeah, Let dude. Let me see that. What do you got? Hot sauce for your butthole, dude. <laughs> oh, it's for your butthole. <laughs> well, I just thought, mm. you know. And uh, then is I've it got good? The is it it's good hot so, sauce? Dude, it's so fucking good. It's Who's me. making this for you? Um, we, we've got a place... In Texas, and um, it's it's called Hot Sauce Depot, and um, they allowed me to make my own recipe combining the the habanero and fuck uh, the tri triple X habanero and habanero garlic. Hmm. And yeah, it's fun, dude. So Abbott. you made it like you did different yeah. tastes. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Nice. There it is. Hot sauce for your butthole. <laughs> Stevo's. <laughs> yep. And now we've got the new Stevo's butthole destroyer. Oh, this is a super hot one, huh? <laughs> yeah. The top three ingredients mm. on the butthole destroyer are the three hottest peppers. Whoa. There. So this is like super hot. Super hot. All right. I'll try it. I'll let you know. Dead. And where people can find this? Uh, you can buy uh, both of my hot sauces on Amazon. Oh, you nice. Can, you can buy them. Go to monstevo.com. Stevo.com. All right, brother. Yeah. And you have a book. And I've got my new books. Um, a Hard Kick in the Nuts. What I... <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect name for you, for a book. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's, uh, it, it's, it's so rad. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, brother. It was great to see you. It was Dude, fun. Likewise, fun, man. Fun conversation. Dude. I enjoyed it. Thank, thank you so much. Um, if people want to find you on the road, uh, is stevo.com. Stevo.com, yeah. And they can come see you do your stand-up. And, yep. And then the book is available, I'm sure, everywhere, right? Everywhere Amazon. Everywhere books are sold. Everywhere yep. books are sold. All right, brother. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, man. Hey, thank you. Good seeing you. All right, bye, everybody.